Welcome to the Literary License Podcast Retrospective as we explore anthologies. Anthologies have been around since the 1800s with classics by Poe, Hawthorne, Stevenson, and Lovecraft to name a few. Motion pictures have been exploring anthologies since the 1930s until today, with even television using the format. Come with us as we celebrate the anthology films through the ages. Welcome to the Literary License Podcast. Uh, this week, we will be covering The Uncanny from 1977 and Cat's Eye from 1985. Uh, this is Joe Rendazzo. I'll be hosting the anthology uh, the anthology film podcast this week. And as always, let's uh, let's see who we've got with us today. We have Davide Cavallo. Hi, everyone. Vicky Ray. Hey, everybody. And our... Uh, our head honcho here at uh, Literary License, Keith Chago. Howdy, howdy. So uh, before we get started on the movies, we'll find out what everyone's been up to uh, this week. Starting with you, Davide, what have you been doing? So this week I've been busy compared to the other times. So I've watched, the amount of things I've watched is incredible. So I watched the whole two season of Gravity Falls on Disney. I love the show. And then funny enough, yet. you know do you know when we discussed the episode about Halloween? There was an Halloween episode in Gravity mm. Falls, which I think I really recommended to all of you, which kind of reminds me of the tales from Halloween. And it was an episode about the Summerween, which is like a silly version of it. And then the kids had to follow the rules of Halloween and respect you, otherwise there was a monster killing you. And the monster, all it was was the spirit of the cheap brand candies nobody eats because the monster wanted to be eaten. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a funny version, remade version of the <laughs> of candy the, of corn. The... You can tap yes. candy corn. <laughs> I, I think it was quite hilarious, considering that uh, this kind of like tells us that that movie really, really made it into like pop culture, like heavily. I mean, to the point of getting into like a random <laughs> cartoon TV show as an episode. But it was funny. But then, then I watched a lot of movies. I watched Home. From the DreamWorks on Netflix. I don't know if you ever watched it. The what one is about it? The purple. It's a movie about these purple aliens who come and take over the world and put humans in this sort what of. Is, like, what's it called scene. again, hon? Home. 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 Just home. I have yeah. not seen that. I haven't seen that advertised. Maybe I wonder if we got it over it's, here. I, I, I was never attracted to it, but I say, okay, fuck it. Let's just try it. Let's give it a try. I think that I might be wrong, but. And now, please take what I'm saying with a pinch of salt. But I think that the alien represented in the home TV show had some sort of ADHD or something like that. ADHD. Kind of... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't mean it in a bad way. Absolutely not. No, Actually, it's not. Can... it just sounds it sounds kind of ironic, comical, I guess. Yeah, that, that kind ADHD. of <laughs> that kind of got me interested into what ADHD is about and what. Really is so I got a little bit of like into researching what ADHD is, etc. etc. I'm the poster I, child. <laughs> yeah, but it it surprisingly <laughs> surprisingly enough, a lot of things that I thought they they were like just normal part of me, they kind of somehow seem to be fit into the category of ADHD, which is interesting. I don't know. Uh but that got me interested in what ADHD is because I was never really, really I never really yeah. researched this. 
then I watched another TV show, like sorry, not a movie called The Mitchells versus the Machines, still on Netflix, still an animation. It was cute. Uh, then I watched Monsters vs. Aliens. Then I watched Hotel Transylvania. All these movies that I really never watched before. Oh, I then, love Hotel Transylvania. I forgot about that one. It was it was alright to be honest. It was like about these whole monsters and hotel for monsters. Yeah. Then it's I really fun. wanted to then I really wanted to watch How to Train Your Dragon, but then they didn't have Oh my god, I had to watch all of that with my grandson. I love it. We watched all I, of them. I think that, that there's like several movies and the TV show, yeah. but then they removed from Netflix the first movie. So I was like, okay, no, uh. not the time yet. I don't know why they remove it, but it is what it is. Then I started watching Final Space, the TV show, the sci-fi TV show. I watched it long ago, the first two seasons, but then now they're telling me, oh, on the 15th of December, they will remove it. So I just lost the interest. I hate it when they do that. Yeah, I mean, I understand, but it is what it is. Yeah. And then final thing, um, on the 22nd of November in Puglia, which is the south, one southern region of Italy, we celebrate St. Cecil. We call it Santa Cecilia. We celebrate it as the beginning of the Christmas period where people put the decorations and everything. And then traditionally, we prepare these um, home fritters that we call pettole. And then I did them gluten-free. And then on the whole, in the house, we all ate them and everything. It was quite, quite kind of like a fun thing. So you can... If you're curious to see what they are, there we go, me bringing the, the Pugliese culture in the world. Uh, you, you spell them as P-E-T-T-O-L-E. And then all the eyes, just these little fritters that you fry and then you either dip them in sugar and then you can, in the dough, you can put like olives or bacon or whatever you want, basically, and just do them non-sweet version instead. And then I, I did me that. Of Easter bread. Yeah, I think we did something similar. I think that is what it is. For, for Easter period as well. Yeah, hot cross buns, Easter bread. My mother used to make that stuff back in the day. Yeah, it's, it's a very traditional thing. Very, very simple because all you do is just water, dough, some oil, and that's it, you know. And then I was watching Mrs. Doubtfire while I was doing. So I think I, I, kind of, well, I, I, God, I haven't Mrs. seen Mrs. Doubtfire since it came out. I like when his boobs catch on fire. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great movie. It, it's really an incredible movie. Yeah, definitely. His daughter's movie. making a movie now, actually. Who? Uh, oh, really? Zelda Williams is doing a movie called Lisa Frankenstein. And actually, I saw the trailer last night, but we'll no get to kidding. that. In a few yeah. Well, oh, that's cool. But yeah, then I and then I was watching this movie, and I kind of felt like, oh, this feels like Christmas for real. Like it was the first time when I kind of felt like, oh wait, my heart stopped beating, and <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I felt a little like uh, on the on the holiday season. Um, but besides that, nothing else. I mean, I started getting back into listening to esotericism, agnosticism podcast, which I hadn't in a while. Um, the latest one I listened to was like a four hours podcast on the how Christianity took like from all ancient religious tradition of storytelling techniques and stuff like that. It was quite interesting. If you guys are curious, uh, you find them on YouTube. But yeah, that's it for me. And how about you, Vicky? Not a whole lot this week. We've just been doing the family thing. Um, I started watching Monarch. They had first three episodes out. Uh, Legacy of Monsters. It's on Apple TV. I was going to get rid of Apple TV, but I'm hanging on to it because I have to watch the Monarch Legacy of Monsters. I just love the Godzilla anything. It's, so it's kind of, it's just getting going, but it's starting to get going. And the third episode, but it's not going to release all the episodes, so I can't binge. So I'm going <laughs> to suffer every week to watch it 
Um, you can just watch the Exorcist series. I keep saying I'm going to watch it, and I finally got into it. I'm still not drawing the parallel between the Exorcist at Georgetown and the time I have. I guess maybe I'm up to only episode five, so I guess it hasn't explained it to me. Yeah, well, it will. So I haven't gotten to that point yet. Okay, that's all I wanted to know. And I watched. Um, I just changed stuff. I feel a little more lighthearted. Have you ever seen The Burbs with Tom Hanks and Carrie yes. Fisher? Oh my God, that movie just cracks me up. I forgot how funny that was. Um, we were watching that last night and I finally watched The Last Voyage of the Demeter. It took forever to watch it, but I finally watched it. I loved I, it. I'm lagging and I got I gotta get I gotta see Last Voyage of the Demeter sometime soon, hopefully before the year is out. Well, it, it, it really, I mean, it's really a good companion piece to Dracula because you really don't know in those few snippets of the book what happened on the ship. And I mean, it is just, it's just an anxiety attack because you are trapped on this ship and he's, I'll just put it this way, he's rationing people <laughs> for the voyage. So it gets really macabre. Everybody knows what happens in the story. So it's not like there's any, you know, trigger warnings or, or whatever, but um, it, it's real that he's, it's a great vampire and he doesn't look like Frank Langella. Let's just put it that way. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's awesome. I loved it. It was really well done. It's really dark and kind of gothic, just like Dracula. So they kept up with that formula really well. Um, yeah, I enjoyed I, it a lot. I really like the uh, the director, Andre Overdahl, I think. is how, yes. I don't know how to pronounce his name, so excuse Neither me if I'm mispronouncing it. I love his stuff so far. Uh, Autopsy of Jane Doe is one of the, I, I think, one of the best horror movies. I love in the last that movie. Decade. I've always loved that movie. <clears throat> and um, his uh, he directed Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is also very, very good. Yeah. I saw that in theaters. Um, I should probably revisit that one soon. It's uh, I haven't seen it since it first came out. That like was a good. That now. was a good. It was an anthology as well. Yeah, it is. It is an anthology film. Um, and I grew. I grew up on those stories, so I really love seeing the the stuff that I grew up reading about up up on the screen. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I really, I really, really like his stuff. Last Voyage of the Demeter looks good. Uh, it's some of the creepiest. Every Dracula movie you've ever seen, some of the creepiest stuff is. The stuff that's implied happened on the Demeter, yeah. but you never really they, got you, it. you never really know, but they took it the ball and ran and did a very good job with it. I was really pleased. I was trying to figure out how how you gonna how you get because I mean, you've got to follow the whole story, Dracula. What how are you gonna keep up with that huge story, you know, that's become such a staple in the horror community forever and ever and ever and changed vampires forever. So, yeah, but it's really well done. I, I thought it was a beautiful film. It was just dark. It's just dark and anxiety-ridden, but it was it was really good. I, I, I give a huge recommendation for that one. And it's not too gory. There's a couple things that make your stomach turn just a little bit, but you know me, it's just never gory enough. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this one was done tastefully. They had the tasteful gore. I get it. But other than that, we haven't done too much. We did Thanksgiving, you know, going to avoid everybody on Friday because God almighty, we want to go shopping on, <laughs> on Black Friday. Why would anybody do that to themselves? Um, stay home talking to you guys. <laughs> I, I, think, I think we need to be a bit more sensitive and change the name to Green Friday. Green Friday? Yeah, that's basically what it should be. Because that's it's what it's all about, green. isn't it? It is all about the green. That's the only... You know. No kidding. It's definitely about the green. So, but that's uh, just us. Got a whole lot going on here. Keith, what about you? Well, I saw a fantastic film on Shudder um, called See For Me. 
Excellent. Which what was it? It's called See For Me. It's about a um, blind girl who downloads an app and so people can see for her and give her directions. And she's oh, yeah. sitting and some people break into the house oh, while God. she's cat sitting. Very well done. Excellent. Oh, and that does sound really interesting. Yeah, what's it called again? See, see for me. For me. See for me. Okay, gotcha. Netflix. Uh, so excellent. Yep, it's on. No, it's on Shutter. Shutter. Okay. And then I'm waiting to see Shutter's new Christmas thing. They got a fantastic movie coming out called The Sacrifice Game, which is a movie about a boarding school students who are visited by a gang of cult killers on Christmas. And that'll oh. be on December 8th. And that, that's getting a lot of good press, the, the trailer. When's fantastic. it coming out? The 8th? Um, the 8th of December. And it's, what is it? It's called The Sacrifice Game. The Sacrifice Game. Not anything to do with the Squid Games, right? No. Who has an actual show on I didn't know about last night? Oh, it's actual very good. I, I'd watch. I, we've been watching Oh, that. my God. Was just and like... I'm looking forward to Shudder's It's a Wonderful Knife, which is a horror movie that's yeah. on the on It's a Wonderful Life, which should be out on the 1st of December. Right. That but, does um, look good. That sounds but amazing. Been, yeah, but I've been talking to Todd Graft because he's going to come on to our show. Um for those out there who don't know, Todd Graff is a director and writer. Um, you, pro you can probably know him from the movie The Abyss. He's in The, the Abyss. He was in Strange Days, Death to Smoochie. Um, he was in The Electric Company when he was a kid. Oh, um, yeah. um, you won a Tony Award for Baby. But the, and he also directed Camp, Band Slam, and Joyful Noise. And he wrote the script for The Vanishing. But What's quite funny is when I reached out to him, he's really good friends to someone who we already interviewed. Him and Ivy Austin went to school together. <laughs> so, really? Oh, my yeah. God. What a small world. Are you serious? So, yeah. So, he asked for her email address, and we gave that to her. Oh, my God. How funny. Her, oh, my God. She's like it. So, so I've been we talking to Ivy and Todd dish, back and we? forth all week. So, that's been quite fun. She was um, so sweet. Yeah, she was. She was excellent. But they both did Sesame Street together. They did Sesame Street voices together. I didn't like. know they were Sesame Street together. Yeah. Honey. So um, so and then um, and then I went to see Thanksgiving by Eli Roth, which it was okay. It wasn't horrible. I mean, it's better than Five Nights at Freddy's. But well, you're really down on Five Nights at Freddy's. Gee, that's the only time I've ever heard him be really down. <laughs> Like ever been down in a movie. Uh, just, none of it made sense. It's kind of like I mean, Five Nights at Freddy. I go and see it, and this is like the reasoning behind it is so fucking stupid. They were better off winter. I mean, if if you get if you have a decision, see when um see um Wally. Willie's Wonderland. Willie's yeah, Willie's Wonderland. Go I, see I'm that. so happy <laughs> that 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 Willie that because of Five Nights at Freddy's failing so hard that Willie's Wonderland I is actually getting a little bit of a if I didn't watch Five Nights at Freddy's, I didn't would have never known to go watch Willie's Wonderland. And you're right, it was done a whole lot better. It well, was you know what I think it's it's and God forbid, I mean, God, well, I hope we never get I mean, these people are never to come on our show anyway. But fuck you, Bloomhouse. You fuck up <laughs> everything you fucking does. I hate everything they fucking do. I hate That's the conjuring. I hate the nuns. I hate oh Annabelle. I hate all well, I like the nun. Are you, I like I mean, the second one. No, I had the Insidious. The only movie I really I did like Sinister. I'll give them credit for Sinister, Sinister and Insidious is good. But it's like every time I see a film of theirs, and like even when it's like Get Out and all the other ones, it's like excellent. Last fifteen minutes, 
what the fuck? Shit. It's like it's like watching it. It's like reading a Stephen King novel. Excellent, <laughs> excellent, excellent. Then you get the last 10, 15 pages like, what the hell have you done to me? <laughs> my life with you. And that's I'll, true. And that's it. I mean, the thing is, you know, you know, Five Nights at Freddy's is like you're watching it. And it's like, OK, well, it's, it's entertaining. And then you get to the last 10, 15 minutes. It's like, oh, I just wasted my time. This blew well, I think up. they're trying to set it up for a second one is what was going well, on. I, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> kill the kid, do whatever you have to do. Just make it a little bit edgy. And then, you know, and I guess that's my problem with Thanksgiving a little bit is that not to give anything away, but as soon as the person comes on the screen, I kind of figured he was the killer from the day, from the get go. It's like I, I turned to. Was it that obvious? For me, it was. Um, it is then, pretty uh, obvious. And then, why uh, did you know too? I haven't seen it yet, so you both thought. Well, I mean, it's, you it's, knew immediately. I didn't know the I didn't know the reasoning behind it, but I knew that he was. You know, I mean, the reasoning behind it is like okay, you know, but I kind of knew as soon as he showed up, only because it made more sense. Because, well, I mean, I, I don't want to give anything away because the movie's right. New. The movie's been out for a while. I think I can give. I'll, I would give. I mean, I. After we're finished recording, I'll tell you the reasons, the reasons behind why it's easy. Okay. But, um, but and then I think, um, and then you, and you got a bunch of um, um, annoying characters, which is fine in a horror film because the thing is, when you have annoying characters, what's the fun about having annoying characters is that when they get killed off, it makes you feel good. And unfortunately, a lot of the annoying characters, there's a lot of people who survive, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody you want to die does not die right there that's kind there's of not it's not it doesn't have that big of a um it does not really have that big of a, big of a, a body count and the yeah. people and the people who do die are so insignificant that they're kind of it's like they don't really mean they don't really mean anything you know that, that's the people that you spend your time with unfortunately are the ones that kind of live it's a trope I've noticed lately with slasher movies is that you don't have the final girl, you have the final group. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of strange. Yet. So they uh, have the, the final group. I mean, it started with the scream movies if you think about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right in a Cuz you have that core group of friends that ends up coming back for the sequel. Yeah, yeah. And one by right. one they start getting picked off and it, it I feel like that's something that actually maybe started with Scream. Um, I I saw Thanksgiving last night. I enjoyed it. Um, and it's, you know, the way I, I think part of what added to my enjoyment, uh, right as the movie's opening, a bunch of teenage girls came in uh, like slightly late and they ended up sitting right behind me, which at first I thought was going to be annoying as hell but as i'm sitting there watching the movie i'm also kind of listening behind me to the whispers between them <laughs> and that kind of i think raised my level of entertainment a little bit because these are you know these are like 17 18 year old girls who probably you know probably definitely haven't seen as many slasher movies as i have so it, it's funny hearing them just one of them sounded like she was openly weeping towards the end like she was actually like terrified so that added a little bit to it for me uh because i'm like oh shit this movie actually worked in scaring somebody um but i really uh i really liked kind of hearing like like their commentary and who they thought everybody uh, who they thought the killer was and uh there's there's a scene where one of the one of the characters who's uh who's a victim has a cat and they're like oh my god no please don't kill the cat please don't kill the cat it's <laughs> fucking great but overall the movie itself 
Uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it as you know your basic slasher movie. I yeah. feel like um, you know everything with the town and you know being called Plymouth and having uh, you know everything be Thanksgiving theme. It kind of reminded me of the Valentine uh, Valentine Bluffs and you know yeah. and my bloody Valentine. Uh, like, yeah, but I what thought... I like about my bloody Valentine remake is that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, can, and I can watch that over and over and over again. Because I really enjoy that the one with Jensen Ankles, and I and I love the original anyway. Yeah, but and it kind of, and that kind of pays a good homage to it. I think the thing is, is I don't think I'll be dragging this out every Thanksgiving like I was hoping I would. I thought this would be like, you know, this will be like my Christmas horror story that I bring out, or my Silent Night, Deadly Night, or yeah. you know what I mean. This this film that would like bring me, you know, that would bring it back every every Thanksgiving. All oh, Thanksgiving time, time to bring out. Uh, Eli Ross Thanksgiving. It was the big one last Christmas. It was the the, the, the Santa Claus that was violent. What was that? Violent night. Violent night. Oh my God, that's mm-hmm. like going to be pulled out of the closet. Every and see, year. and and not not there. And right there, Violet Night is you know, and I guess is you know the thing is, is you have the Grindhouse trailer, and they kind of reproduce some of the killings in here, but not, not enough as, of them though. But but not as well though either. Yeah. Like the trampoline thing is not done as well as in there. The um the turkey body is not done as well as in that trailer. And yeah. you know, so I guess maybe, you know, I guess I come with a little bit of baggage because I was, you know, Grindhouse. I bought Grind. I have, you know, I have Death Proof and I have Planet Terror, but I also have the Grindhouse Blu-ray, which has both Same here. Together, the whole thing. And I, you know, I dragged that out and I watched that because I quite like that. Sometimes it's like, Sometimes Planet Terror is better in the Grindhouse Planet Terror. part of it. <laughs> or Death Proof sometimes is better because you just kind of want a shorter version of these two films. And other times, you know, if you feel like you need a longer version of these, you have the Blu-ray of them individually. But, um, so yeah. They also didn't do the, uh, the the scene where the the, uh, the girl's giving uh, giving a blowjob and the guy's like you know backed up and he mm. doesn't he doesn't realize the killer cut her head off like oh, that, that's fuck. not in it either <laughs> like, I was a little disappointed that that scene didn't make didn't make it into the movie <laughs> but, but like even like in the in the beginning of the film it's you know we get like it's rated eighteen for bloody gore and da 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 and you're thinking and then you're watching like well, I mean, Terrifier Two is a lot worse than this, and that got oh yeah, Scott. The thing is, like, I mean, this is like the the level of gore you'd expect in like an '80s slasher. Like, I don't feel like we were totally ripped off in the gore department. It's just we've grown, I think, like desensitized a little bit because yeah, we have Terrifier now. Well, I yeah. guess you, I guess it's because you don't get any contact. Basically, you kind of get, you know, something coming down. The sound effect, and maybe a, a like a very quick half second view of the carnage, and I and I find that it's kind of it's kind of bizarre. Where I think like in the eighties, when you look at Friday Thirteenth and the early early slasher films, you kind of do see the knife kind of going in and coming out or going across. And well, and like it's, Psycho, and, you can't really tell kind of thing, but you know. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess I mean. You know, when I think of gore, I guess I look at the simple fact that when you see gore in a film situation, it's normally what you see basically is, you know, a knife, 
you know, chainsaw or whatever, you know, I'm not talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's more suggestive, but I'm talking like 80s, like whether you're watching The Ripper or Friday the 13th or all the 80s slashers that were out at that time, that before, you know, before mothers got upset in the, about 85, 86, before that point, you, you know, you saw the knife go into the body, you saw the knife go across the throat and everything opening up and all this kind of stuff. And here you kind of, you know, this is kind of like the the safe, the Hollywood safe version of it, where it's, um, you know, you kind of, you know, the knife goes to, it cuts, so you kind of cut situation. So you hear like sound effects, and then you kind of get a split second of what, 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 what that, what that directed terrifier off the top of your head, Damien, Le Damien Leone. Okay. Yeah, we're ter terrifier basically. I mean, you, I mean, you feel the torture all the way through. <laughs> well, that's just, I mean, well, when you, I mean, anybody that takes a chainsaw and cuts that woman in half in the obvious way that we saw, I mean, that's just like, now that's the kind of shit that melts my butter. I love that stuff. Well, I mean, but, but, even when, but even when you look at Rob Zombie's um, circle of films and his violence situation, the violence is a lot worse than that. Than the, than yeah. The, well, yeah, like a thousand, one thousand corpses. That's just like, yeah. And I, and yeah. I just kind of just expected, um, only because it's like you know what they're saying over here is like, oh, people are passing out and all this other stuff. That's and so what you, I heard. And so, the, and then when you go see this, is like, what the fuck are they passing out at? Saying that it's not a bad film, you know. Nobody was passing out. I, can't, I think I would have Bobby better been better off if I didn't have any. And just you know, you know expectation. Expectations. I think my expectations kind of made me kind of similar to it, and because it's Eli Roth, I just kind of expected a bit more to it. More of a punch to it. More of a punch. More of a thing where it's just like I wanted to be slightly disturbed by it. And you think it, he's playing it safe with his movies? I don't know. I don't, I'm not quite sure what he's doing, but I think <clears throat> I think first of all, this is a Hollywood studio film anyway right. so maybe that has something to do with it you know i think maybe you know when independent people no matter who they are get tied into doing a hollywood studio film and maybe it curtails a little bit about what their right. vision is to be i don't know yeah this was a uh columbia tristar film so yeah this was this was oh that was heavily yeah. back then yeah but if you look at terrifier films they're paramount films which one? Terrifier. Terrifier? Yeah. Terrifier were uh they those two were both independently produced. They were not Paramount. Yeah, but oh, Paramount okay. Paramount bought them and and distributed them. And that's why they're on the Paramount Plus channels. Yeah, I wasn't aware they're on Paramount Plus now. Yeah. yeah no, they, uh, I, I know they, the they, they came on Paramount Plus like two, three weeks after they came out of the cinema. So they're probably yeah, they're right. probably just uh just getting licensed, but uh mm -hmm. but yeah, I actually saw recently the third uh the third Terrifier movie. Uh, apparently lost a lot of its backing because it's so violent. And I just kind of, because this is the first one that's actually being done with a, with a major studio. And I'm like, what did you think was going to happen? For Terrifier? What, I mean, what, what, what did you think you were getting from, from, for Terrifier 3? Well, you know, the thing is, is I read, um, I read somewhere that the reason why they brought the Terrifier 3 trailer out now is that way because the film's not coming out for a year? It's coming out next, you know, tw um, Christmas twenty twenty four, 
And the reasoning behind this was that way they can get everyone to sit there and just get all their moaning, bitching, and all their social media out. So that way, when the movie comes out, people have just gotten over it by that. And then he just released what he wants to. (laughs) Which, to be honest, if that's that's the reason behind it, it'd be quite quite interesting. Because the thing is, you know how the public's attention span, I mean, they'll moan and bitch and scream for about a month. Then after that time, they're now gonna they move on to something else because that's what the public because the public are fickle and the public's always been fickle anyway. Yeah. So if that's the if that's the reasoning behind it, it'll be quite interesting to see what the payoff will be a year from now and see if people are, will just come out and people just like by that time they got it all off their chest and they're just gonna go see it or so maybe maybe so. I, you know, again, uh, you know, they're not, they're not the most intricately plotted things, but I've, I, no. I've always enjoyed the Terrifier films for being the. Artie the Clown. I just love his hat. I mean, and he's got so much personality, you know, he's, at least he flirts with you before he guts you. I mean, at least you're getting some kind of romance out of it. <laughs> well, that's Dave, that's David Howard Thornton, who is a mime, uh, actually has experience as a mime. So he's able to, to he's get so all that good stuff. At it. I didn't know that. No wonder. Okay. Well, he does. He's, he's in the films. He's unfortunately he he doesn't do um the short. He's not he's not the same mime in the. He's not the same art in the short films. No, not in the original short. No, that was a different guy. Yeah, but I think I mean, but saying that, I think, I think it 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 goes to show basically like you know where I think like a lot of slasher or horror films get it wrong. It's like it doesn't matter who's behind the mask when we now know that it does matter who's behind the mask. Yeah, you know, I mean, like the Jasons and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, it, does go, it doesn't matter who's doing Jason, and then you find out like it does matter because you need or who plays Michael Myers, even though they're not saying anything. They go, it doesn't matter. It's like it does matter because if you get the right person behind it, you get that essence of a yes, you know. Great. And with him and him and David, what's his name playing? Uh, David Art. Howard uh, uh, Thornton. He's brilliant. He's just. Yeah, he sets you on edge. Just looking at him just sets you on edge. Yeah, many people can do that. And and the thing is, is it's not by him. It's like it's kind of funny. Like when you see like the first that let's take the first Terrifier film because that's the beginning. Um, But even when he just comes in, you don't know anything about him. You really haven't seen anything that he's done. He doesn't have a backstory, does he? Really? Well, no, he, he, just, he just sits in a restaurant and he's just staring and he staring just he just cocks his head slightly with a slight smile and it's just you're on the edge as soon as you see him and he hasn't done anything at that point so but he just emits evil <laughs> it's just just an well, evil that, person that, well that's what's excellent about him because he emits evil without saying or doing anything you know he's bad news as soon as you see him so yeah yeah and it's it, well I, done. And I I clown scared the shit out of me, but he's like my favorite clown. He definitely yeah. my favorite clown. Well, he makes he makes Penny he makes Pennywise look like a bitch. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you like to see a contest between the two of them, a throwdown? I think I to be honest, I think Art would Pennywise win versus down. Terrifier. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Art would win hands down, to be honest with you. Oh god, yes. Well, what's he afraid of? That's the thing. Uh, Pennywise preys on your fears. What the fuck is Art afraid of? And then if things become too bad, he turns into a turtle. So, <laughs> yeah. But well, that's it for me, though. That's what I've been up to. So, and yeah, ba- ba- with me, basically the same. I went to see Thanksgiving last night. Um, 
and really, really, you know, I really enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, down and dirty slasher, which is what I, which is what I wanted. Maybe it could have been a little gorier. I'm thinking there's going to be probably an unrated Blu-ray or something like that. Cause it's probably to get down to an R rating. They probably had to cut a lot of stuff out. That's what I'm yeah. thinking at least. Um, also, I, you know, um, growing up in New York, I don't know if it, it was, if it was like this for you guys, Thanksgiving for me started with March of the wooden soldiers on WPI. Yes, so yeah. I decided uh, to rewatch it. I have the, uh, the legend uh, films DVD, which I did not realize has a longer version because apparently the version that we, that played on TV every year was apparently uh, uh, cut down to 73 minutes where the whole mo- the full movie, 79 minutes. Uh, so yeah, it's missing an entire song. And it, it always seemed weird to me because you have uh, Bo Peep and, uh, and Tom and Tom Tom going right. into the boogeyman cave. And then uh, it, you have Laurel and Hardy looking for Barnaby in the well. And it just cuts to, Tom Tom and Bo Peep are sleeping in the TV version. And I never understood why. There was an entire other song where Tom Tom's try, uh, trying to ease her nerves by trying to get her to go to sleep. And they just kind of fall asleep on the steps together. So I had no idea that song existed. So that that added a couple minutes to it. Um, the uh, the fist fight between Barnaby and uh, Tom Tom is a little longer. But uh, then, uh, then I remembered it. So it, it was interesting seeing that because then when I looked it up, I'm like, Oh yeah, that, that wasn't in there. Um, so yeah, it was kind of fun revisiting that. Cause that used to be a Thanksgiving tradition for me every single year when I'd wake up it'd be, uh, time to watch, uh, uh, time to watch March of the wooden soldiers. It would, it would be on and, uh, start doing that while mom was cooking. And that yeah, is kind of the start of the of the the holiday season too, because it's such a it is such a big holiday movie, really. And when I saw your post about that, it's like, oh, I gotta watch that for the end of the week because I really do love that. Gives brings back lots of memories. Yeah, it's a, it's still a lot of fun, and I, I mean, I now realize, oh my god, the movie's nightmare fuel. The uh, that yeah. uh, the, <laughs> the cat and the fiddle with the, the 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 mouse running around, which apparently they put a monkey in a mouse costume, yeah, and had it running around, and that's why every, every, all the movements feel so strange. The just the set design is just nightmare inducing. Like Barnaby, why does Barnaby, who's the richest guy in town? Uh, why does he live in like this rundown shack when he's, he's a you know, miser? Yeah. Why, why doesn't he live in like a mansion? You know, like, like it's, it's funny. Like he lives in a rundown shack. Meanwhile, he's got millions and millions of dollars and he owns the mortgage on, on uh, old mother Hubbard. Mother shoe shoe. And all that. Yeah. Old mother. Was it mother? Was it, who was it? The old mother with the shoe. Or it's not mother yeah. Hubbard. Old woman, old woman, in the shoe with so many children. She the old lady, oh. the shell woman in the shoe. Yeah. She had so many children. She didn't know what to do. <laughs> I remember that it's a, now. It's, it's a fun, goofy little movie. <laughs> Uh, I like seeing Stan Laurel doing the kind of kind of the stick ball thing where he's taking the stick, he's hitting the, the peewee and then he's slapping it in, into things. I thought that was kind of cute. I've never seen uh, in any other thing. I've never seen Stan Laurel doing uh, doing that. So uh, it's fun it, little yeah, Disney, did, Disney did a remake of that, didn't they? In the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. With Annette Finicello and Tommy. Yeah. Sanders, isn't it? Oh, I never vaguely, vaguely remember, remember Annette Finicello doing something like that. You think about babes, all the babes in Toyland, I think. The yeah, and the yeah. actually the version that I saw there you go. 
the version that I watched off the DVD actually had the, the title card also said Babes in Toyland, which also I was like, I could have sworn the title card said March of the Wooden Soldiers. So I had to look that up. I thought Apparently, it was March of the Wooden Soldiers. It It is. It's also Babes in Toyland. Babes in Toyland is the original title. There was a TV cut made in the 50s. And what ended up happening was back then, if you didn't put a little copyright uh, uh, thing on it, it immediately went into public domain. So this was a licensed version that a, t- that, that a TV company made the cuts to uh, or a TV station made the cuts to replace the title card of March of the Wooden Soldiers, but then never put in the copyright notice. So the March of the Wooden Soldiers version is in public domain. I had no idea. Uh, and then Babes in Toyland is the original version by uh, by Hal Roach and MGM, and it has six extra minutes of footage. And I I had no idea. It was just a bonus when I put it in because it was. Uh, but still, it's a lot of fun. Uh, even all these years later, I mean, it's been a long time since I I watched it all the way through. Last time I watched it was like some muddy looking version on YouTube that didn't look good at all. So I was glad to get the uh, get the DVD and get a good copy of it. Um, well, it's based on a 1903 operetta, I think Babes of Toyland. Yeah, uh, I think Babes. Of Toyland, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's it's a fun little movie. Um, I really enjoyed it watching is. it again. Uh, I didn't realize the guy who played Silas Barnaby was in his uh, was in like his late twenties too. So it's just no a kidding? lot of old age. Yeah, it's a lot of old age makeup. Um, and he was he was acting well into the nineties. So it's uh, there's Henry Brandon. It's kind of cool to see that. Um. But yeah, that's uh, but that's basically it. Um, uh, haven't really been. Uh, I don't think I've been, I can't think of anything else I've been doing lately. I I got my new assignments from uh from the last drive-in, so I got started on that this morning. So busy weekend. Is, uh, I'll work at no play. Well, I mean, I've been off a couple of days, so I'm actually kind of happy. I'm kind of recharged. You notice I actually got in on time today. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, <laughs> You're usually I wasn't on we're always I'm usually messaging you guys. Night. I'm usually messaging you guys around 11:59, going, "I'll be there in like two minutes." I just rolled out of bed, so. Don't phase us, Joe. I've got a question for you. I mean, actually, for all of you, just out of curiosity, how long does the copyright license last for for these movies before they become public domain? Good question. Well, everything definitely becomes public domain after 96 years. So anything right now that came out. Years. You, you know, you got to renew it every couple of years. So some movies have fallen into public domain because somebody at the office forgot to renew it. That hasn't happened much lately because I think now everything's just set up to, okay, yeah, we're just going to automatically renew it. But um, anything that came out in 1927 or earlier is in the public domain. Uh, next, uh, As of January 1st, anything that came out in 1928 or earlier will be in the public domain. And that's just going to keep going year by year. For movies, at least. I don't know how it works for novels. Might be a little longer for novels. I don't know. I think, um, the interestingly enough, the Babes in Toyland, which is an arc, it's RKO, isn't it? The Lauren Hardy one. I believe so, isn't it? Oh, MGM. MGM. Oh, because, because Disney gives them, um, it's one of the only times that Disney actually gives them approval to use Mickey Mouse. So Mickey Mouse appears somewhere in it, I believe. Yeah, he's a, he's a little mouse. <laughs> yeah. I, just Gosh, I don't days. remember that being Mickey Mouse. I'm going to have to watch it again. It's been a long time. If it, Which, uh, I don't know if it was, was it approved because it, it certainly yeah, looks. No, like it's, it's the only time that Walt Disney's approved Mickey Mouse to be in another production. No. Well, no. Be, 
you know, because later on, I mean, I think, I mean, it's, it does appear in other things, but they are Disney affiliated companies. So this it doesn't ma matter. So. That's interesting. I didn't know they did that. Yeah. Well, that's why I was wondering if it was RKO because yeah, um, when Disney first came out, they were associated with RKO, weren't they? At, at the very, very. That's beginning. what I thought, but. So. Well, it was definitely the MGM Lion at the beginning. Uh, you know, the nineteen thirty uh, thirty-two Wheel of the Lion at the beginning of it. So. Okay. Why does Mickey Mouse look like a serial killer from back then? Because he was um well, at first Mickey Mouse was known as Ricky the Rat. And then they then they softened him up a little bit and became Mickey Mouse. So, yeah, he's Bill's... positively terrifying looking. Yeah. And, and Babes in Toyland, he's nightmare fuel. Yeah, as is the the guy in the um uh, uh the the cat in the fiddle the the guy in the the cat yeah. costume. Uh, so I mean, he got more rounded as he, the more popular. But I think about. The, well, I think it's about the 30s where they started rounding him out a little bit more, gave him a bit more of a rounder face and rounder body. And before that, he yeah. was quite, quite um, pointy-looking. I guess uh, on the on the cat uh, on the uh, the subject of cats, we should move on to our uh, our double feature today. All right, uh, so let me pull it up here. The Uncanny is a 1977 British Canadian anthology horror film directed by Dennis Hero, written by Michael Perry and starring Peter Cushing, Donald Pleasance, Ray Milan, Joan Greenwood, Donald Pilon, Samantha Egger, and John Vernon. Um, I guess what we'll do is uh, we'll cut to the trailer and we'll be uh, right back with the uncanny. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Like the creature from the Black Lagoon, deadly aliens from outer space, giant ants, man-eating sharks, and bloodthirsty grizzly bears. But the most fiendish, the most fascinating... The most terrifying creature of all may be waiting for you round the next corner. Or living right in your own home. Years ago, people used to believe a cat was the devil in disguise. I'm beginning to think they were right. <laughs> I said scream. Do you call that a scream? Those are spikes, real spikes coming towards you. I just don't feel scared.
what terror means. How are you going to convince the people that what you're writing about is true? I had access to the police statements and the doctor's report on the bodies. Believe me, I do know what happened. Welcome back. We are discussing The Uncanny from 1977. Starting with you, Vicky, what do you think of uh, uh, The Uncanny from 1977? Bizarre, but I, I actually kind of loved it. And it's just like, if you're not a cat person, this is definitely not a movie for you if you already hate cats, because you're going to hate them more after you finish watching this. Um, you mean I like overlords. how they broke it down to the three different stories. Uh, what was it? The first one. Um, the, what was the first one uh, with well, the, uh, the will? The yeah, the first one's the one with the guy uh, not inheriting. Yeah, and so I was wondering, do you think that the cats were upset that we were, they were defending the old lady, or they wanted to keep their money? <laughs> did they want the money, or were they defending the old lady? Because they did, did have a problem both? eating her after she died because of the 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 the, the housemaid trying to steal the will for. The other family member who sent her in there to deal with all these cats, getting locked in the the cupboard, trying to escape all these violent cats, and then eating cat food to stay alive in the cupboard for a while. And it's just like God. It took me a while to figure out what the hell that woman was eating. That was disgusting. But what what cracked me up that was the the, the last story. Um, I think the middle story with Wellington was my favorite out of all of them. Because I that little—I mean, if, how many times have you wanted to use witchcraft to shrink somebody so that you could smush them with your foot? You know, <laughs> and what a little bitch she was! She was a wretched, horrible child. The mother was awful. Oh, and gosh, then you get to Donald Pleasance and the, the the third, you know, the third story, and that's even more bizarre because you've got this cat who's like out to whatever because. They're making a low-budget horror film. They're using the pit, the pendulum as as the horror film. And why don't? My question is, why did the cops ask more questions over such a heavy blade being used to cut the actress in half? This is like, oh, okay, accidents happen. That's it. You know, we'll just proceed <laughs> and make the movie the next day with my new lover that's younger and looks like the other lady. You know, it was just it was just a series of stories. I, I really enjoyed it. Actually, it was weird as fuck, though. I won't deny it. It is such it. a strange movie. Um, it was really strange. I mean, these cats. I mean, well, basically, the whole is is uh, Peter Cushing trying writing a book, making this pitch to Ray Milan because he's trying to say that that cats are trying to take over the world or they control us, yeah. and he's trying so hard to make a pitch to Ray Milan. So, but what happens? They they take over Ray Milan's mind, and he burns the manuscript and. It's all about cats controlling the world, <laughs> you know, that in a nutshell. You know, but I thought it was funny as hell, a lot of it. I loved it. I mean, the funny thing about this film is that uh, 
I, I really enjoy this film and I like I watch it and I, I like it. And it's like, you know, it's Donald Pleasance who went from re- doing this and went right into doing Halloween right afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, oh, what exactly. about Peter Cushing? He went from this yeah. is the same year as Star Wars. Yes, yeah. I did the Star Wars. This was a busy movie year, period. Actually, but the, but the weird thing about it is that when I watched this film, though, for some reason in my mind, this film came out in the sixties. I don't know why. That's what I kept thinking too. There is Peter Cushing. That's why. And because there is, so oh my god, we're you know, there's so grindhouse looking, you know, there's definitely got to be a discussion to, at some point towards the end of the podcast because this movie and Cat's Eye were less than a decade apart, but yeah. they, but in terms of how the films look and feel, they are worlds apart, they are decades apart. Yeah, uh, and they're here, not, there's what are they separated by six, seven years? Well, yeah, I something guess, like that. I guess, it was 77 and 85, eight years. Yeah. And I guess at the time that this came out, there was a British show on television called Tales of the Unexpected. I yeah. remember that. Which is around the same time as this one. And it has that same kind of feel to it, which is kind of has that kind of twilight zone kind of, you know, feel. But Tales of the Unexpected were stories written by Raul Dahl, who's known for his children's books. But these are based on his short stories for adults. That's um, And so, but it has, but this has like, it has that feel to it. And so when I'm watching this film and I'm, I'm enjoying it, but when you look at um, certain things in it, it does feel like, and it also feels like an amicus film, which you know, as Joe, yeah. as, as you know, next month we start to, we start going into the amicus apologies, right. and it feels like an amicus film, but it's not. It feels like you know, it feels like you know, tales of the unexpected episodes put together and turned into a movie, but it's a night gallery. It has that vibe. It yeah, that, that early, early, late sixties, early seventies vibe to it, which is yeah, kind of exactly. I agree. I didn't know that. I thought it was a sixties movie too. I did, yeah. then I went back. It, it, but it's but it's actually it's a film that's actually a throwback. It's, yeah. it's a film out of its time, oh. uh, because you by by the time the by the time the movie came out, it was already passe because you'd already had the uh, you'd already have the genre moving away. Thanks to like The Exorcist, The Texas Chainsaw, right. or, uh, Black Christmas, and now Halloween was coming up uh, right. as Donald Pleasance's next movie, and you know you had just the previous year you had Jaws, Peter Cushing was about to move on to Star Wars, so you're you're seeing like the entire landscape of movies just completely change, right. especially right. the genre movies. Period. We were getting well, to a point now where, and Roger Corman. Uh, uh, talks about this a little bit uh, in some of his interviews where in the late 70s and early 80s you started seeing A-level B pictures. You started seeing movies that would have 10 years ago been B movies being made with A-level budgets and A-level casts. Mm-hmm. And that's when you you, know, you start getting the, the, you know, the gigantic feeling uh, feeling B movies like you're going we're going to talk about with uh, with in a little while. Um, so yeah, it, it really feels, really feels, uh, strange. Uh, Davide, you've been, uh, you haven't said anything yet about it. What do you think of it? <laughs> well, it was a very Hated different it. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Hated it. I, th- I think it was a very, very different movie. I've never watched anything like it. So one lesson I've learned is that sometimes you just have to 
remove every expectation you have. This is the best way I've learned to enjoy certain movies, especially for these old movies. So I know that you say that it's very different from the movies of the period of time, but I, I, I mean, I don't know if you mentioned it in a bad way, but I actually quite like the movie. And then funny enough, every time we watch old movies, they seem to... I seem, I seem to appreciate more those ones than the ones of the modern days. It's easier to appreciate old movies than the new ones, like modern ones. I don't know why. Maybe because they put more uh, dedication, more storytelling. I don't know. Um, but I really like the movie. The, the way they intricated the three stories connected to each other. So it felt like a sort of like a small, um, sort of like a three episode X-File something. Um, kind of like you know, this investigator trying to like prove the fact that there's a conspiracy theories um, about the cats ruling the world and being evil. And well, it's basically what it was was a conspiracy yeah. theory. The cats mean... trying to dominate the world. P Peter Cushing's <laughs> character should be locked in a padded cell. Well, he was right though. The cats. He was right. Yeah. Take over. It would. It would, would be. It would be amazing. I mean, this is me and my in, in imaginary world. If they have it decide. If they ever decided to um. Sort of do like a revival of X Files, a kind of like tap into very old movies like this one and be like, oh, you know, cats are in the world or something like that. I don't know. Um, but I, I really liked it. I mean, obviously, the special effects are what they are because obviously it's the 70s, well, end of 70s movie. So it is what it is. But even though the special effects are not up to standards of these days, because obviously it's like over 40 They're years ago. They're not up to standard for, for, the, for the time this movie was made either. Of course. No, no, no. But then if, if I, actually quite liked that it. it was funny the only thing is i wonder if him you say it was a sort of throwback right a kind of like mm -hmm. reviving some sort of like old ways of doing certain movies but then i wonder if it wasn't also done for it was a horror but done for the sake of like having a bit of a laugh as well because there are certain parts in the movies which I think they don't necessarily make logical sense. So in the three stories, the, the three the main parts I found is that in the first story, for example, um, it becomes almost hilarious the fact that the woman keeps saying to the to the last will maker, I don't know how you say it in English, the fact that uh, oh she's not going to give anything to the nephew because he doesn't visit her enough. So that's kind of brings a little bit of like a funny side to the story. It kind of makes you laugh instead of being too serious, like horror. And then in the second story, you wonder, did the dead mother teach black magic to the kid, which is something yes, very unusual? as it should be. You always pass that shit down. I think you can say it's yes, because she, the aunt, her books. Burns, going to burn her books, because these are my mother's books. But she didn't yeah. see yeah, the yeah, but then, She uh, didn't see the important book because those other books you could buy anywhere. Grimoire, you cannot get yeah. anywhere. So, yeah, no, but so, then, so, then, so I'm assuming that um, her mom was heavily influenced and probably passed that influence on to the daughter only because it was the only thing that connected her with her dead parents. Because the little I girl, though, didn't you, the little thing. girl, though, she was really cold about stepping on her. God. Well, I mean, at that point, you would be too. This girl's torturing you because your parents are dead. Yeah, I, I know. Mean, she, she's a she, wretched she was a child. She was a little bit too much, but I think she was very like attention. But I mean, okay, go back to the, one of my favorite statements of the whole movie. I don't know if this was supposed to be humor, but Donald or Donald Pleasance at the end or whatever. When he's with his lover and she's calling him his initials, VD, I love you. It's just like, who says they love VD, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I just like, because that on purpose. 
like, I like that they said, maybe this was maybe this was all then, a giant in joke. But even on the last, even on the last part, on the on the on the let's call it a short story for the theater part, did the cat replace the spikes to the real one? How and when did that? I, I know. I think the last story is a nod towards Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat. You know, oh, it's a, a lot of stuff, actually. Because he doesn't like, remember in Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat, he doesn't, you know, the guy doesn't like the black cat. He kicks That's the black true. cat out or he's trying to kill the cat or whatever. And the cat eventually ends up being the demise that, you know, demise. <laughs> the, the I mean, if, if you think that he killed all the babies of the cats, or, 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 you know, so, but then, yeah, it makes you feel like if certain things yeah. in the story were done just for having to be of a laugh and then remind of the old days or the old stories or something. And then it's kind of like it's a horror, but at the same time, it's sort of like maybe it's like the the ancestor of like the scary movie of the time or something like that. I don't know. Strangely oh, enough, when this film came out, it was given an X rating. Was it? <laughs> what was it a nasty? Apparently. I don't see why they give this an X rating. When it was released, it came out as an X. I don't know why. I mean, I can't even see what they could do to clean it up for an R rating, actually. But I guess maybe well, there's violence, there's children in violence, maybe. Well, for me, I mean, this would be a 13, I mean, a PG at the most. Uh, but yeah, I would think. No, I mean, these days, yes. How many people days. would If anything. Probably just the existence of the witchcraft in it. That's probably what gave it the X. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, but witchcraft yeah. was just coming. Uh, Wicca and all that was just starting to boom late, late 60s, Yeah, but, but it is coming off the back end of um, Exorcist created quite a stir. So maybe that, that could have penalized a lot of things afterwards. Yeah, right. that might. I mean, the guy, I mean, another thing I was quite shocked about this film is maybe this is the reason why it has this look. But it's produced right. by the same guy who did the Am um, Amicus anthology films milton yeah um, so I, maybe I, that's the reason why this has that kind of look to it well uh, yeah i think he that's that's just the types of movies he made he loved making the the what he called the portmanteau movies right uh, and that's why when you look at amicus's history there's so many of those um you know, uh, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors and all that stuff. We'll, we'll get into, I will really get into Subotsky when we start getting into the uh, uh, the bulk of his work with the Amicus movies. Because, uh, yeah, he's he was a really interesting character. Um, I mean, what's quite interesting about this as well is that we open up in modern times with Peter Cushion getting his stuff together. And this right. is 1977 Montreal. It doesn't feel like 1977 Montreal. If you're like 1950s or 40s, I, I agree. When I looked and saw that it was yeah. 1977 too, I was kind of taken back because I thought it was like, well, it's got that Amicus Hammer vibe. So I was thinking 60s. Maybe that's why it seems like it would be in the 60s. I don't know, but it's awfully tongue in cheek, though. I mean, the whole thing. Well, you can't really do it any other way, can you? You have to be tongue in cheek with the. With the notion that cats are trying to to take over the world. Well, cats are already viewed as evil by people sometimes. So how hard would it be, you know? And I well, love cats. I love animals. So I'm, I'm not part of that. I don't share that opinion. But I'm just saying people generally view cats as the keepers of the underworld or as familiars or or as all this. So I mean, it's so it's not a stretch for all three stories, you know. I guess to you know portray them. 
I have to sit there and say, though, it has a fantastic cash. I mean, Joan Greenwood is always brilliant. I love yes. her. You know, Donald Pleasance. And then you got, you know, Peter Cushing and Ray, Ray Milland, again, a fantastic. Who kills Peter Cushing at the end of a horror movie, for God's sakes? It's happened. <laughs> I was so disappointed that the cats ate him or killed him or whatever. Just like, ah, no one can. Peter Cushing, who goes on to be, you know, the evildoer in Star Wars in a few months, gets killed by a bunch of fucking cats. <laughs> I, was excited. I was excited to see um, John Vernon in it as yes, well. Yes, Dean Wormer himself. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's... Dean Wormer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's he... always fitting when he shows up. I love how he just pops up in movies. It's like, oh, he's just Dean Wormer. You don't recognize him by his name. Oh, it's Dean Wormer. <laughs> All the time, well, <laughs> I mean, he's kind of person like in the seventies. You'd be watching, and also like he, you know, he pops up like in Hawaii Five O, and then he's yeah. inside, and then he'd be in Charlie's Angels. The next I week. mean, there's someone else who, you know, Animal House was what the year after this. So there's somebody else who ends up eight, I think, right? Yeah, there's somebody yeah, else who ends out. up having, you know, becoming a becoming a star. Uh, I mean, not not like a superstar, but still kind of a star after this. You know, you talk about just the the the, the transition, um, the transition that uh, that that movies are going to be making in the next couple of uh, couple of years with B movies because Animal House is an A level B movie too, right. very much. You know, it's a B movie plot on an A A movie budget. It's such a good movie too. Don't even is, get as far as John Vernon, oh, as far as John Vernon's concerned, to anyone who can prefer can you know be in Chained Heat and Ernest Goes to Camp and Savage Street, yeah, and clowns from outer space. I'm a huge fan. Oh, of that's that. right. He wasn't Killer Clowns, wasn't he? Just like I'm yeah. thinking of Killer Clowns. Oh my God! How funny. he did A Team and Night Rider. I mean, what more can you ask for? Well, I mean, he's had a he's had a busy career though. You can't deny the man has. They've worked him. He's worked. But that no, he's just a legend. Yeah, he's, he is. You know, He's like one of those people that you know you see like that you grew up with. And it's like they they would appear in everything. It's just like, you know, and that you know like like Thelma Ritter. He's he's that he's that caliber. You know, that's who I always love. And I watch a film, and it's like you got one of these, you know, character actors popping up here there. That's like I'm in for it. You know, I'm in for the ride. It's like yeah, I get all yeah, excited. It's always been my thing too. I love a good cast of character actors showing up in in these kinds of movies, and what I love about them. And uh, God, who was I saying this about recently? I was saying this about uh, uh, Chris Mulkey. Cause somebody, uh, a friend of mine, posted a photo uh, uh, of himself with uh, with the character actor Chris Mulkey, and I was like, the good thing about those like levels of character actors, where it's like in like the mid budget movies, they have a, you know like like a bit role, but then when they have a lead role in like a serious B movie, you know. It, I just love it about them. There's like this, there's like a scale, like the higher, the, like the better the role they have, the sleazier the movie is. Mm. And that's kind of, kind of where I feel like John Vernon falls into. Cause you get a lot like, like Mary Warnoff as well. Another one. Yeah. yeah I mean, Mary Warnoff is another I get, one. I get excited. And everyone's like, what are you excited about? <laughs> Mary Warnoff. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like that with John Carradine. I'll see John Carradine's name. I'm like, fuck it. Yeah. I'll watch it. Why yeah. not? You know the the guy's in a, a small role in Stagecoach, but he's a, he's a standout, one of the best, you know, characters in the movie. And you know, then he goes on to play Dracula. The, the guy was in like four hundred something movies. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to live long enough to see everything he did. 
Yeah. And now James Hahn oh. is uh, apparently the new record holder for the uh, the most movies uh, in history. And he's been in everything, too. I mean, even like when I see Marjorie Mann or Hermione Gingold or or um, what's her name? Um, Margaret Wicks. <laughs> Margaret Wicks is another one. I was like, oh, it's Margaret Wicks. I get all excited. <laughs> oh, uh, what was it? I was watching recently. Uh, God. What, oh, man. It was. Uh, oh, A Woman's Face. The remake of A Woman's Face with uh, Joan Crawford and Conrad Veidt. And I saw that Marjorie Maine's name was in the uh, was in the credits, and I was like, hey, "Where the hell is she? I don't see her." And then there's this scene where they talk to this old woman, and this old woman finally speaks, and it's just Marjorie Maine under like a lot of heavy old old age makeup. And I was like, "Oh, there she is!" Like you recognize their voices immediately. Same mm. thing here with John Vernon. Yeah. You know, like John Vernon. You might not be uh, you might not be looking at the. Uh, at the screen, but you hear his voice. It's the same with Ray Milan and Donald Pleasance and uh, Peter Cushing too. You know their voices. You, you, they have such such a distinct voice. But I noticed it with John Vernon last night. I think I got up to refill my water and I heard his voice. I was like, "Oh, John Vernon's on the screen." Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. I think that's probably the reason why Uncanny. I I do like it because you do have these little. I mean, I it. Is this a Friday night at the movies kind of movie? No, it's a Sunday afternoon when it's like you got nothing else to watch. If this comes on, you just watch it and enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, I mean, I mean, that, that, that's probably why I like The Uncanny. And I, I like it because it's, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to be honest, it's probably a good thing that when I watch, whenever I watch this film, I'm always forgot what year it came out. Because I think that if I look at the year and go, I'm going to watch on the Uncanny from 1977, I think my expectations would be a lot different. But for some reason, I, it's only, you know, you know, doing this show and you're kind of reminded what year it came out. Because to be honest, until we did this show, I always thought this film was like 1969, 70. That's what I thought. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we're we're gonna watch a lot of those, a lot of the Amicus movies that uh that this kind kind of plays off of. So we'll we'll um we'll get into those. But even, I mean, I enjoy the Uncanny, but even in comparison, if you could if you compare it to like Tales from the Crypt or um uh from beyond the grave and all those the, the, it pales in comparison to those it this feels stuff, like it, it feels like a film at the end of a cycle and it really is and uh you know mm. milton subotsky's last film would end up being the monster club which again i love but you got to you got to you know recognize the warts that it has you know it's not it's not a clean easy going picture as far as far as quality it's clean and easy going is in it's it's a fun little movie but right. it's like like you just said here, you can tell it's the end of a cycle. You can tell it's they're not making as much money uh, on this cycle anymore, so they're not make they're not putting as much money behind them anymore. They did they did seem to like just really slap it together and put it out there. It really wasn't really financially backed, so to speak. This is so you're, you're I right think about they, the I do think they spent a little bit of money on it though, because if you look at but I know the special effects kind of lack a little bit, but some of them are quite well done, really. I didn't think it was that using, bad, considering the time. They're still using rear projection in 1977. This is after you've already had, you know, Rick Baker and, uh, you know, uh, 
all, all those, you know, Tom Savini had already started, but maybe he wasn't mainstream yet. But the, the stuff was out there to do like better looking effects. They just went with the classic old school rear, rear projection for a lot of it. Yeah, but I kind of wondering if maybe because maybe rear projection was still the cheapest viable option at that time, maybe. Oh, yeah. That's definitely because the thing is, is, this was a Bridget because this wasn't a major studio, though. It was a, a British and Canadian co-production. Right. Yeah. So the English stuff is done at Pinewood and the other stuff's done in Montreal. So, I'm kind of, so I'm kind of wondering what exactly that meant and that maybe they were too, maybe it was independent, independent bought by a major or. That was something that I was going to get to uh, because when you look at a lot of the other Amicus movies, they are co-productions with like American International Pictures, with um, in some cases uh, uh, 20th Century Fox. Um, I think Seven Arts and Warner had a couple uh, worked on a couple of the Amicus movies or or co-funded them. So this was definitely Subotsky scraping together whatever money he could get, and he definitely did not get that. You know that lucrative Warner Brothers or Fox money for this. He had, you know, he got like I, I don't, I got don't even. Know. Yeah, he got what he got, and he went with it. Which you know, you know, to, to Amicus was slowed down. I uh, was cut down by this time. Was wasn't What's that, Keith? Sorry, the Amicus is pretty much they, they, they. That's a closed studio by this time, isn't it? Yeah, they were dead by this time. By uh, he, uh, it was a partnership that that Subotsky had with his friend hence amicus uh max rosenberg they made a bunch of movies together and i don't i'm gonna have to look into this when we start going heavy into the amicus movies i i gotta learn what the nature of their falling out was because they uh is that why it came to an end they had a falling out they had some kind of falling out i will do my research as to why i will read up on it and uh figure out why there was a a falling out i I know that's why i didn't know it might have to be I, i might have to be because I'm kind of. I don't know if this is the reason, but I imagine there probably would have caught. There would have been some kind of stress caused because the scene of the horror scene was changing at that time as well. Right. Yeah. So, so therefore, the, imagine the returns are starting to get smaller and smaller as well. Because you got to remember, Halloween. Halloween's on the cusp now. Halloween's going right. to be coming out soon. And did you get yeah. the impression with this movie they 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 put it out there? And, and after the, having this discussion, I'm just sitting here wondering: Do you think they kind of just gave up a little bit and just produced it and put it out there? I don't think they, I don't think they gave up. I think they put a lot of love in this. It right. doesn't like a effort. That's what? what was that, Joe? I I think produced. I I think Subotsky produced the movie he wanted to make. Because yeah. he, even after this, he's still chugging along, trying to make the anthology film work for him again, right. even after this. Because uh, after this, he does the Monster Club. Well, it's like a, it's, it's like it's like listening to your favorite recording star, and you know, let's sit there and say that you're like like you like someone in the '80s, and then it's like, but they're still sounding like the '80s when they're mid in and the, and the music's moved on. Right. Yeah, he's kind of he's stuck. He's a needle who's stuck. Well, in I guess his... I guess maybe that's what I'm thinking. It's just like things are progressing, and along comes this movie, and it seems like a different caliber of movie that mm. is on the cusp or already starting to be made. Is what I'm saying. Because like you, I also thought it was in the '60s. I thought it was a Hammer film mm. at first. So, well, I, I think it's just being stuck in your st- stuck in your 
age or your groove because to be honest i mean you know they'll be like you know if you're an actor i mean if you're a director or even an actor or whoever whatever if you're if you're making art or producing stuff you kind of have to move with the times and you have to go keep going forward because if you don't you get left behind it's like you know if you look at alfred hitchcock you know, he had to keep moving forward. And even though there was pull against him moving forward when he did louder films like Family Plot and Frenzy, he still had to keep moving forward because, right. you know, if he right. stood still, then we'd be having conversations about how he, he would become, become you, you have to, you have to keep, you have to, you kind of have to be slightly ahead of, it's, it's, it's a kind of a balancing thing because you have to be a, when you come out, your public will gather, will catch up, will catch on to what you're doing. But as you carry on, you still, let's take Madonna. Okay. I think this is probably the easy way. When you look at Madonna's career, the reason why she's done so well is because when the producers she used, she was always slightly ahead of the curve. Then what happens is now we got Madonna today. And what's happening now, she's chasing the curve. So she, her music's behind everybody's you know she doesn't have the you know she doesn't have producers before they're huge she doesn't have william you know she doesn't have the william orbit of tomorrow and all this other stuff so she falls behind and i think in this case with martin sabosky is that when this films came out yes he was at he was there you know he was present he was like there at the time of it but then as we know things move forward and things move onwards and you know for whatever reasons and i think that He's fallen behind, and he's and we see it. We can feel him running to try to catch up, and he's not quite catching up with the. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, you know, and you get and you get that with anything, you know, with anything, you have to keep moving forward with the times because if you don't, you you get left behind, and that's what happens with everyone. Yeah, know? whether it's directors or actors or musicians or whatever, if you don't keep moving forward. And you kind of have to be slightly ahead of the curve or you get left behind. And I feel this is with this, I think he just got it left behind because if this film came out in 1968, 69, 70, 71, we be have, I think we'd be having a totally different discussion. Possibly. Because this is three years before the changeling three yeah. years before ghost story, you know, the same year as Halloween, you know, yeah. And you Star know, Wars, and yeah, Star Wars coming and, up. There's a whole what, host of movies. And what he should have been doing basically is doing a film that had the feeling of Black Christmas, really. And well, yeah. I mean, just looking, just looking at you know the cast here. We have a couple of horror icons. Yeah, but you, Ray Milland, Peter Cushing. Yeah, and Donald Pleasant. Here is well, I mean, those are big heavy hitters right there. I mean, just they just well, Donald Pleasant, but Donald Pleasant wasn't a heavy hitter at this point. Donald no, Pleasant is a point. character actor known mostly for like Roman Polanski films and yeah, you know, true, and, true. And little English, you know, I mean, it's Halloween that kind of pushed him. Catapults him. What else did he do? What movie that did the he point do? that well, you he was Blofeld, and you see the photo. Because yeah. the photo he uses of uh, of of Donald Pleasance with a cat is a photo of Blofeld. Yeah, and a, uh, and a, a could they film. not find another picture? <laughs> well, I think, I think I think that I think they did that on purpose to show that he was a major actor. Yeah. Right. So that the audience would know, maybe I don't know, or maybe it's an. Intro. I just thought it was an odd choice. That's all. I mean, also he's stroking a cat, which is thematically perfect for this well, movie. Yeah, but I still thought but it was an you, odd choice. But when you think of who had a who had a career. 
as a major horror star after this movie, Peter Cushing kept doing movies like this. Mm-hmm. Donald Pleasance went into doing Halloween, and that created an entirely new. Well, that catapulted him into the yeah, created an entirely uh-huh. new uh, uh, oh. life for his career. I also think it, um, John Carpenter helped him a lot because I think oh. John Carpenter, you know, when he, when Donald Pleasant wasn't doing Halloween, I think he was still doing John Carpenter films, wasn't he? Uh, Escape from New York, he was in that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Prince oh of yeah, Dog. that's right. It's um, Snake Plissken. But also, who, <laughs> you remember, have you guys? Do you guys know who the first two choices for Doctor Loomis were? Right. I can't remember. You have to remind yeah. me. Down. And Ooh. Peter. Who apparently turned it down? I didn't hear you broke up on both ones. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were the first right. two choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donald Pleasance was his third choice, and Angela Pleasance, who was in a, a movie called The Godsend with her father, where she plays his creepy daughter, and she will also <laughs> see her cover uh, from Beyond the Grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angela oh, Pleasance. God, yeah, Beyond the Grave. Angela Pleasance is a huge fan of of Assault on Precinct 13. So she was the one who convinced Donald to do the movie. But it's the fa- but it's like Keith was saying. You either get caught up or you get left behind cuz Christopher Lee he, you know, he went in, and you know Sam Irvin talks about this when when we interviewed him a couple years back. Christopher Lee went into um when, when uh, you know, he decided to stop doing horror movies because he he felt he was above them and wanted to do, you know, more high level stuff. So he was turning down all these horror roles, and his his career, you know, went into the toilet for like a decade and a half. Well, I mean, to be honest, it's Lord of the Rings that really brought him back out. Lord of the Rings, uh, Sleepy Hollow, and all that stuff. So yeah, you know, so, yeah. For lady you're talking about. Yeah. So we're talking two decades. Yeah. And I mean, um, when, did the, when did the Sith come out? When did they? When did that come out? Ninety nine, two thousand. So yeah, it was Lord of the Rings, the Star Wars prequels, and um, the Tim Burton movies that mm-hmm. resurrected Christopher Lee. And Peter, I mean, I think we also have to look at Peter Cushion at this time. Anyway, is that he was just doing actor roles because he after his wife, his wife died, yeah. just like in what is it, seventy five, seventy six? I think two. And at that time. Like Vincent Price, because they had so much love for their wives that they kind of just kind of given up and they're kind of just working and just kind of doing what they have to do because they kind of lost their their passion at that point. Yeah. You know, I mean, even Vincent Price lost his passion at this point. It's just like, okay, I'll I'll do it. I know it'll keep me busy. But my heart's no longer in it, and now maybe you know Peter Cushion. I mean, even in Star Wars, Peter Cushion, Peter Cushion's in Star Wars, but it's more of like, look, we got Peter Cushion as like a little nod that we got someone genre, you know, we got someone in here, but he, but his character really doesn't do a hell of a lot in Star Wars. Really, it's it's really George Lucas stunt casting somebody that he loved growing up. Precisely, yeah. that's that's what it is. It's I've always wanted to work with Peter Cushing. Let me. You know, it's not a pivotal role like we have, let's say, with Tim Burton's love of Vincent Price that we get him in, you know, giving him doing Edward Scissorhands. Scissorhands, yeah. You know, you know, so it's not like that, but it, you know, it's good. It's good to see him, but he doesn't play a pivotal role in Star Wars. Yeah, almost a blink and you miss him kind of a role in Star Wars. But I, but oddly, oddly enough, I think he was at the time Star Wars came out the biggest star in the movie. Yeah, well, Star Wars. Star Wars had no money to make, really. Yeah. 
it all spent on special effects. So, you know, and the only people uh, and the people who were cast in Star Wars were the rejects who didn't get cast in Carrie. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It is. You know, if something happens, and I mean, if um, you know, if Carrie Fisher, you know, did a different audition, she could have been Carrie, and Sissy Spacek could have been Princess Leia. I just don't know. <laughs> John Travolta could have been Han Solo. Yeah. So because that's the way that's the way they did they did the casting together. So. <laughs> Amazing! You imagine imagine Nancy Allen in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I would have loved it. Actually, I probably would have been more of a Star Wars fan. Okay, actually, it probably it would have been more fun. Actually, when you think about it, Nancy probably Allen, probably Star same Wars. Here. Nancy Allen and PJ Souls <laughs> <laughs> and Edie, and Edie McClure. <laughs> <laughs> And Betty um, Buckley is not Darth Vader. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I guess the only thing left to do with this movie is uh is rate it. Uh so uh starting with you, Davide, what do you think of this movie? Uh what what's the rating? <laughs> um I actually really liked it. Um I know we discussed the fact that it's slightly behind the time and it's kind of left behind, like you said, Keith, but I somehow really liked it. Um one of my favorite scenes was literally the part of when the when the little girl was fighting against the cat. I was like, oh, oh that's that's interesting. And I did not expect her to be squashed and die. <laughs> that was something that I did not expect. I expected her to be like left out the house and just be keeping her life like as a small child or whatever. No, she got killed. I was like, okay, that's that's where he's going. <laughs> and and then do we want to talk about the old woman who gets eaten by the cats? <laughs> what a I bitch. She had it coming. <laughs> she needed to get eaten by that all of her cats. <laughs> I mean, that was just she was just mean, vile old lady. And then she has the mean, vile young house. I don't think I don't think she's the mean vile. I do the the bird is the vile. No, her her nephew's the vilest. <laughs> that's super, and, that, and, that, and that girlfriend who's the maid did you does she really think that he's gonna marry below his station and give and share the money with her well i'm just glad they all died i thought they were all assholes the nephew doesn't death, so. the uh, nephew doesn't die the nephew yes he does the cat eats him in the end i thought bites him in the, kill him at the end oh that's right that's right I was not vested in any character in this movie at all. I wanted them all to die. Basically, for... So basically, the short story was the original version of how the Aristocats movie yeah. was supposed to be like. If you think instead of the main character, Edgar kind of tries to kill the cats, which is probably not the right thing Oh, to do. God. Okay. 
off on a little tangent. There's a movie, and it's um, it's on one of the uh, it's on one of the Universal Monsters box sets, even though it's a Hammer film from 1961 called Shadow of the Cat, uh, with Andre Morel uh, in it. Uh, an old woman is murdered by her husband and the uh, and the staff. I'm, I haven't seen it in a couple of years now. Old woman is murdered by her husband and the staff. Rich old woman, and the only witness is is her black cat. <laughs> so for the next like hour and a half, the fucking people are trying to kill this cat, like as if the cat's going to say something. They're trying to kill the cat because it's the only <laughs> witness. But the cat keeps bumping them off in this old mansion. <laughs> it, and it's in that it, it is played a hundred percent seriously, which is why it is one of the funniest fucking movies I've ever seen. Because it what again? Uh, Shadow of the Cat from 1961. I've seen that. I've heard of that. I don't know if I've seen that. I bet you I have. I've seen I all did. that old stuff. It was just in I know a couple of weeks ago, and I was I, I was at work, so I wasn't able to watch it. But I remember I was telling people, I was like, "No, you got to see this movie because it's ridiculous. A cat witnesses a murder, and people spend the next 90 minutes trying to murder the cat, but the cat keeps killing them off. It's brilliant." It's brilliant because it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> there was another cat movie around the same time. It was called Legacy. I don't recall that one. With Sam Elliott and um, about they're all going and the uncle's got this huge amount of money and he's gonna leave it to something and the and there's a cat and they all kind of die like all these strange relatives are dying but somehow the cat's involved or something. But it has it has like Catherine Ross and Sam Sam Elliott in it. There's that uh that other uh, uninvited that we uh we did a couple years ago. That was another cat movie with uh, uh I remember uh, it. I'm trying to remember what was the the substance of the story. The uninvited. I can't remember. It was be, being on a being on a ship with like a rich yeah. with rich asshole. I remember okay. George, he was one of his goons. Rich assholes. Yeah, and, and the cat and the cat and the cat eats something or gets some kind of. I know that it turns into like a rural feral cat because it's like I don't yeah. know nuclear waste or something, but it's like up on a ship. It's a Graydon Clark movie, which Graydon Clark movies are absolutely bonkers. So that, that that's one of those. Uh, it's like 1987 or something like that. We covered it on the podcast a couple of years ago. I remember all of us just yeah. laughing our asses off to, uh, talking about that the the ridiculous notion of that movie. But yeah, uh, so yeah, Davide, how many? I guess how many? How many evil cats do you give this? I'd give it like a four point five evil cats. You liked really, it that really, much? Wow! Really, really, I really, really enjoyed it. To four to five evil I cats. Mean, and and that we say that's kind of um, as you said, Keith, it can can kind of feel like it's one of these like um, horror kind of being left behind on the time. But to me, it feels like, if if that's the case, then it's kind of like the Bjork of the horror movies of the time. I love Bjork because you know sometimes you I, I, fair enough obviously to be successful you have to be up to 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 the time updated at the time but sometimes even if you do once or twice some movies that like a standalone movies when you kind of stand your ground and say okay I like doing this and I'll do this my way I think sometimes it works I mean I don't know how successful this was but I love it I enjoyed it and I think that that was that was Subotsky's thing. Subotsky, Milton Subotsky, like producing these kinds of movies that had like these these old time stories. He liked uh, putting out uh, uh, stories based sometimes in classic literature, like the classic horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So that's that's what he did. That's what he liked to do. That's what he ended up doing. And so it's, it's, it's a retro of the old times, basically. <laughs> retro of his old times. You know, his hate extended four years prior to this. Because I, I think From Beyond the Grave is the last uh, the last Amicus movie that anybody considers to be of any like real oh, uh, real quality or substance. And that was four years prior, or three years prior to this. That was 73 or 74. So, but we'll get into that. Uh, in a couple of a uh, couple of months when we cover that movie, uh, how about you, Vicky? Oh, I'll give it a five. I loved it. I mean, it was senseless. <laughs> That's what it was. You just gotta watch stuff and just take it with a grain of salt and just enjoy it. I mean, I mean what you make a movie about cats, you know, and the cats are reigning supreme over the human race, and everybody deserved what they got. So I was satisfied. <laughs> I don't see any problem or downside. You call it a cat spiracy? A cat spiracy? Cat spiracy, yes. I just thought it was funny that, you know, Peter Cushing thought cats were taking over the world. I just love that. I mean, it's even more bonkers that he's right because Ray Milan takes one look at the cat and he just throws the throws the manuscript. No, my overlord. I am I am I'm with you. Well, it was funny because the cats, he goes, see, they're outside talking, you know? It's like, <laughs> That's the beauty of this movie, though. It sets Peter Cushing up to be completely out of his mind, and then at the end, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> the cats, they're getting together. They're congregating. They're talking. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. I love it. Though. I love that about it, though. Yeah. What, I mean, yeah, you got to take it with a grain of salt because what else are you going to do with this kind of movie? Yeah, it's not supposed to be a true story based on actual events. Just let it, just have fun with it, you know? Either that or it just hasn't been revealed to us yet. Yeah. The cats they're are not with cats. They're, they're sketchy animals. <laughs> well, they used, they used to worship cats so in ancient Egypt, so you never yeah. know. <laughs> a lot of people worship cats. A lot of people still do, actually. Oh, yeah. And uh, how about you, Keith? I'm going to give it a solid four and a half star because I really like this film. But let me preface this because I am a huge fan of Night Gallery. I'm a huge fan of Tales from the Unexpected. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of um, Hammer's House of Horror. And I love those. Um, I love those little short stories that kind of had that little twist in a little tale. And, and you kind of watch them. And they had like these old actors that you watch. And they pop up, you know. Uh, the only thing that I kind of wished Roddy McDowell made an appearance in this, and I probably yeah, that would have been nice, wouldn't it? But yeah, um, but it does I do that. Him. I mean, if it, but you know, if if it, I do own the Blu-ray of this, and I do bring this out every once in a while when I feel like on a Sunday afternoon when it's raining outside, and I love it. Um, but saying that, I think that if you're not a lover of those kind of things. It probably is not going to rate as high as I've rated it. So, right, probably not. Yeah, and that—that's what I was going to. I'm also somebody who owns the Blu-ray of this, so um, I'm I'm in that camp. Um, I would probably give it a four, which is probably the, I'm shocked. I'm the one giving it the lowest rating out of the four of us. Um, but I also I enjoy the movie, like like Keith said. I have a nostalgia for these kinds of movies. I have a love for. Uh, for the old Amicus movies and I, uh, Hammer films, and just stand alone, they're just off to themselves, different, you know. And yeah, just... I mean that's that's one thing about this movie. It has the it has the balls to be completely different. Yes, 
and that's that's something that you know you always have to give credit to to, to these movies when they do that but yeah, I love this cast too. I know Keith talked about it earlier, but John Vernon, Donald Pleasance, Ray Milan, Joan Greenwood, Peter Cushing. The cast is just absolutely fantastic and a lot of fun to watch. Um, I think probably like most, like almost everybody else, I think the second story is probably my favorite because God, I want, I've never wanted to see a child. Uh, get stepped get on her, and killed as much as possible. Yeah, get her come that up little and bitch. that little, the, the con, <laughs> The constant making fun of this girl because her parents are parents dead. Parents are dead. And then the mother. I mean, I can't remember. Did something happen to her? No, she didn't. No, the mother got, the mother, I guess, uh, I guess her her darkness or her comeuppance is going to be that she lost yeah, her daughter. Uh, yeah, but I wonder if she, she doesn't know that she was picking her sticky daughter's guts oh, up God. off the floor, did she? Gross. No, but it I mean, she can never live. She's she was paid. Huh? She thought it was just paint. Oh, I told you not to use paint. Now oh. she stepped on her and squished her like a cockroach. Gross. Love it. And the only bad thing is I still don't think that was compass enough. It wasn't, it wasn't enough. Like I would have let the cat yeah. eat her. I was rooting yeah. for the cat to eat her. And yeah. that's, that's not what happened. That's what Sean thought was going to happen. He was watching it with me last night. I, I thought okay, the cat, so cat was going to eat her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I guess that yeah, I guess the mother's come up and says, "Go the rest of her life, never, never knowing what happened to her daughter, unless unless this little girl tells her." But even then, are you going to believe it? Mm. I yeah. use black. I use my black magic powers to to shrink your little daughter and then smush her. So I have so to. Yeah. I have to add one little other thing that I do love about this movie is when <laughs> Peter Cushion is talking to Ray Milan. He looks outside and he sees the cats gathering. And then Ray Milan looks up and they're like, not there. <laughs> yeah, there's only one. There's only one cat. Yeah. And I like, and I like that. It's kind of like, it's like they're coming. Because what do you want me to do? They're, they're gathering. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, doesn't want, he doesn't want Ray Milan to let his cat out at the beginning. He goes, he's got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't want the cat to be let out because he knows the cat is going to go tell the other cats what he knows. <laughs> they're talking. Do you see? You see? They're all they're talking. <laughs> Before we move on to the other thing, um, my cat Boo is a really big Mancoon. And in his heyday, he would be out in the garden and he, um, he, 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 him and this other cat, the next to name cat, is like they talk to each other. like, Wow, 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 wow. And they're like, wow, wow. <laughs> they would do this for like hours out of the garden. <laughs> it's like, what are they talking about? Gossiping. We, we talked to the birds as well. He'd be like, talking to the bird, wow, 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 wow. And the bird would like tweeting, and he'll be and then he'll, like, he'll stop, and the bird will tweet, and then he'll start meowing the cat, the bird, and the bird, when he stopped, the bird will start tweeting. I don't, it's kind of, it was really weird, but people used to think I was making it up until they like come over and they actually saw it for themselves I'm like that's really weird <laughs> so maybe, maybe there's some truth to this movie I don't know I'll just leave that there <laughs> were they plotting against you? well to be honest um, Boo Boo is really horrible because he make he makes friends with things and then about well, well like for like squirrels like he'll sit there and like He'll meow to the squirrels and then like and then he'll be laying next in the garden next to the squirrel for like two or three weeks. And then after about a month, then you find the squirrel dead at above the back door. So you make friends with him and then and then you find them dead like a month later. 
I'll try living in Texas with this big 20 pound Tom I've got out back. Yeah. And I mean, everything in Texas will kill you if they bring it in the house. It just will. Snakes, spiders, that cat will bring in anything. It's brought in spiders, tarantulas. I mean, oh, I just hate that cat. Well, Boo makes friends with them and then he kills them. <laughs> well, they all play with their food. We all look in the garden. Like, I remember, like, the guy in the garden, he's like sitting next to the squirrel, and the squirrel and him are just laying out in the garden together. And then, like, three weeks later, it's like, it's like Jesus. <laughs> and he'll bring a bird back. It's like, it's like, and I think to myself, is that, is that the same bird he was having a conversation with for the last couple weeks? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess that's uh, on that note, we're going to go on to uh, Lewis Teague's Cat's Eye, which let me quickly pull this up. I should have I should have been prepared. Whoops. We are good. Cat's Eye. 1985. All right. Cat's Eye is a 1985 American anthology horror film directed by Lewis Teague and written by Stephen King. It comprises three stories. Quitters, Inc., The Ledge, and General. The first two adaptations are short stories in King's 1978 Night Shift collection, and the third is unique to this film. The three stories are connected by the presence of a traveling cat and Drew Barrymore, both of which play incidental roles in the first two and major characters in the third. So we're going to cut to the trailer for Cat's Eye, and we'll be right back. Stephen King your favorite novelist and master of modern horror has written his first motion picture screenplay. It combines all the elements of his creative imagination. Lovable pets. Classic cars. Quiet evenings. Favorite films. Kill the son of it. <laughs> Good idea. Adorable kids. Help me. And of course, a monster or two. Experience a series of electrifying adventures as seen through Stephen King's Cat's Eyes. Where's your sense of humor? And welcome back to Literary License Podcast. We are discussing 1985's Cat's Eye. Starting with you, Davide, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to be honest, I liked it less than the previous one. So I wasn't a massive fan of how the stories were connected. I mean, the cat was a traveling cat, obviously, but there wasn't any interesting or mystical connection somehow. Although I did not understand the cat's seeing the vision of the young Barrymore 
uh, Drew Barrymore. Um, I, I did not really understand it unless I missed something. Um, I don't know why the character was trying to find and how did she connected, but... I think. And he wants to, he's traveling to save her and he's trying to get yeah, there. He's got visions yeah. of seeing um, Drew Barrymore. The thing is, that you, um, that connect, what connects the, the films together is the cat and Drew Barrymore. Because she is actually, she does her picture. If she's, or if she doesn't physically appear, her picture is somehow connected to these characters, but as a different person. So, yeah, she daughter in the first one, and then she's, uh, she appears on TV in a commercial in the second story. Yeah, so it's like the the many incantation incantations of Drew Barrymore. Well, either that yeah. or this is the this is the Stephen King Easter egg movie. Sure. Because you can tell he had something to do with it. Because everywhere there's a Stephen King referendum, whether it's well, the, or... the, the the funniest uh, thing about this is that Lewis Teague does this film after he after he directed Cujo, yeah. right? And, and so, and if you watch if you watch the Blu-ray of Cat's Eye, the dog that you see Cujo. playing Cujo is actual Cujo. <laughs> so that's quite interesting. I like I like that little tidbit. And Christine, they're the bumper sticker to make sure you know it's Christine, the car. Yeah. I mean, this is, um, this is Stephen King in his heyday, really. I mean, this is where well, he was coming up on his heyday, at least. Or getting yeah. close to it. So. Well, I mean, it was definitely, no, it definitely already was his heyday, because this is post-Carrie, post-The Shining. Uh, yeah, post-Salem. Cujo, uh, uh, Cujo, Children of the Corn. Yeah, Dead Zone had not only already come out. That's right. Watching it on TV and commenting yeah. on how the writing sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. At least Stephen King still has a sense of humor, even about. Well, this is, these stories actually come from Stephen King's Night Shift, his first um, short story yeah. collection that would come out. That this would come out like after. Carrie, The Stand, Salem's Lot, The Shining, and then he came out with Night Shift, which is a collection of his short it stories. Would have been, well, that what was the story they left out? It would have been too long to put it in. Oh my God, what 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 one was it? What story did they leave out of this? They left out a story and made the movie out of it because it would have been too big for this. Interesting. It. And it's going to drive me nuts now. Oh wait, I've got notes. Why am I not looking at my notes? That's why we have Google. <laughs> But I, I mean, I, I didn't mind the story the way it was, but I kind of lost interest. I mean, it was called Cat's Eye because the cat is everywhere and he's looking at everything. But then it was kind of like, apart from the third story, when the cat was so central, and the first two ones, I mean, the, the first one, the cat was just being tested on. And then the second one, the cat just made a guy fall over. And that's it. I just... I, I don't know. I didn't really like the connection. Plus, the second story, I, I really didn't like it. Maybe I maybe I missed something. What do you mean? I lost interest across the ledge because he's yeah, yeah yeah with a gangster guy. Yeah, he's sleeping, with the wife, he's sleeping with the wife. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And when, oh gosh, when 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 he put out the the head of the wife. Yeah, Wasn't that so creep show to you at all? Did you guys get a creep show vibe from that? Well, I mean, Stephen King wrote creep show, so yeah, that's what I'm saying. Makes... That was a massive creep show vibe, is what it was. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah, I mean that that second story was probably my favorite though. I just that I, I don't know, man. I I would I would have been like, you know what? No, put me in prison. Yeah, no, frame me for drug running. Put me in prison. But there's no way my fat unnimble ass is getting around 
this building uh, along the ledge. No, did, you say you, no. did you say you liked it or you didn't like it? Oh, no, that was my favorite. No, well, I, I like it because of the anxiety it gave me. <laughs> that, okay, that part is okay, but then it was, I don't know, I, don't know. I felt like it was unnecessary. The guy is like, no, it's your turn to walk around. I don't know. I quite liked it because the simple fact that if you think of yourself that you have two things, you can either die or you can walk around the ledge. So you take the ledge sequence. And if you think of that, the ledge, he's supposed to be what he's supposed to be on the 22nd floor, 23rd floor, something Which like is that. High enough. Well, I mean, can you imagine having to walk along the ledge all the way across around the ledge with a yeah. flipping horrifying pigeon trying to, <laughs> to make it Yeah, that alone would have killed me. That alone would have killed me right there. Well, the funny thing about it is like, um, because I also watched the, um, the making of as Lewis T talking about this, and that pigeon. Um, doesn't Robert Hayes uh, doesn't really peck him at all, but it did peck the, the other guy. <laughs> the other guy <laughs> it, it pecked him and he was bleeding. <laughs> but the thing is, but I also like that the fact that when they were filming it, they were on they were four stories up when they filmed it, so that's so that way they kept that feeling of the ledge. And then they but they they built it so he's four stories above everyone, sort of so they could shoot him up like that. And so, therefore, they had like this harness on. There's a couple times that he did slip <laughs> when he was filming it. He'd be like, oh what about trying to quit smoking? The James Wood story where they've been <laughs> electrocuting his wife. <laughs> she wouldn't speak it cigarettes. But when he said, Oh, and then if you don't do that, so we're going to electrocute your, your girl. And then after that, we're going to rape your wife. I was like, Gosh, was that even legal? And then you think, Oh, well, it was the 90s. So I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I don't think raping somebody or not quitting smoking was legal. No, I don't think we do that no, no, over of here. Course. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know when you say, oh, it was the 90s, back in the 90s. I know, I'm just looking like... with you. <laughs> but see, for me in that story, okay, that's, you know, you're thinking about this, like, okay, this is quite horrendous. And it's like, thank, bizarre. You know, and another thing is, thank God James Wood has enough love for his family to quit. Right, but then, but but then, what what really irritates what not the not irritate, but what kind of freaks me out is that then we get to the point where it's like after he quit smoking, he's been successful. Now it's about his weight. <laughs> Did yeah. they ever let go? It's never ending, and yeah, you you see when 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 they toast, she's missing a finger. Oh, oh that's yeah. right, that's right. So, yeah, you don't maintain the weight. We're gonna we're gonna come off and cut off your wife's finger. So what happens like in ten years when you just start gradually just gaining weight normally? What happens? It's like are you gonna have to work out for the rest of your life? And that's when they invented divorce, I guess. Because I mean, why did she have to pay for all the things of the husband? I mean, <laughs> well, I think I mean, I, I mean, I think that goes. I mean, the you know, if you know a little bit about Stephen King, sometimes they come back. That's the that's the that's the story they left out of Cat's Eye. Yeah, well, they, you they know what? That's a, it's a good thing because that that movie on its own is very, very good. Yeah, and it's yeah. In a, its own movie, didn't they? It took me a minute to remember. I couldn't remember. Uh, what um, but the, but the interesting thing about Quitters Incorporated, I think that's that kind of gives you a little hint. If you know a little about Stephen King, is that Stephen King's success is owed to everything to his wife. Oh, so his was wife. If it wasn't for his wife, we wouldn't have Stephen Stephen, uh, Stephen King's wife, Tabitha. Found him, he threw away Carrie because he didn't yeah. think it was good. And Tabitha took it out of the garbage, goes, No, you need to go run with this. 
It's because of Tabitha King that basically got Stephen King over his drug and alcohol addiction. It was Tabitha King who's basically going, you know, who goes through and goes, no, you do this, you do this. This is the best thing that you're doing great with here. And she's kind of guided him and mold, not molded him, but they, they kind of guided each other situation. But that's been his rock. So I think with Quitters Incorporated, I think the reason is, I mean, the story was first published in Playboy, um, which is quite interesting in itself. But I think it it goes, I think it's a substitute there that your wife is the good thing in your life. And and that's why, you know, that's how they got you over, over a coal. I they think were so viciously cruel about it, though, how they were going to make you. They're gangsters. They were going to make you quit smoking no matter what. You signed up for this. They weren't going to let you out of it. But I also think that what get, what's quite interesting is that normally in a story, what you'd get is like, okay, if you don't do this, then we're going to come after you. Right. But what I quite like about the story is that picture that you're supposed to do something. And now instead of me hurting you, I'm going to hurt your mother. And you're going to have to watch right. it. And I like the way that it turns that on its head because the thing is, Hurting yourself is a totally different thing. And it's like, okay, well, you just love get But if you right? fail on something that you're supposed to do and someone that you love is has to pay for the penalty. Yeah, that's a game changer. You've done, I think and that's what I quite like about that's why I think Quitters Quitters Incorporated does work, you know, in a weird sort of way. Because I think if it was set another way, like most stories are, it's like, you know, if you fail something, they're gonna come, you know, they're gonna come after you. Right. I don't think it would have the same kind of tension. I thought it worked sports. perfectly. I loved it. I thought it was yeah. a good story. I liked yeah. how that. I mean, James Woods. I mean, just the, something about James Woods here. I've always loved him. Anyway, he's one of my favorite actors. But I, he's just so. I don't know. I, he doesn't look helpless, but he's kind of a tough guy made to look helpless in this. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, he's he's <laughs> always he's always been like the the the, the parts he played often are the tough guy who's also kind of weaselly at times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. There you go. And you can see that desperation here when uh, when he's caught smoking in the car. Yeah, he's got that cigarette. He's trying every which way. He's looking around, trying to smoke it. <laughs> well, and you know, it's kind of another thing that's funny about James Woods is that he's kind of had the career that um Ray um what's his name Rob Schreider should have had Ray oh the guy who did Jaws oh Roy Schreider. He kind of has the career that Roy Schreider should have had. Because Roy Schreider kind of did care. I mean, he did Jaws and he kind of did uh, what all that jazz. Right. But James Wood has had the career that's kind of been long, been a long career. I mean, you know, he went on. It to has his... been a long career. Well, and he, he's done these kind of like really independent, kind of really interesting roles that. And the I thing didn't is, really took notice of him until Against All Odds came back out around 85. I didn't really notice him that much. Until well, he then. did Videodrome. That's true. He did. did yeah, he was great in that. I mean, I need, I need, I mean, Family Guy, he takes the piss out of himself. But he's also, <laughs> but he's also yeah. plays Hades in Hercules. Yeah. So he's got his Disney, he's got his Disney pay. Well, he's got his voiceover. He's got, a, he's got his hands in just about everything. He's been very successful. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite movies uh, ever, probably. Yeah, you know, Once Upon a Time in America. He's uh, he plays uh, Max, the gangster in that. He's fantastic. That's right. Uh, yeah. Sergey. Um. So yeah, he's a good movie. I 
Cop, if you've ever seen Cop, that's a fantastic one where he's he's hunting a serial killer. Uh, 80s movie where he, he plays uh, he plays a cop who's trying to find a serial killer. I the still love him. The miniseries Holocaust. Yeah. With Meryl yeah. Streep. Yeah, I John love him in Vampires. Yeah. That's like one of my favorite things he's done. He's such a cold son of a bitch in that. I mean, he just sit there and spears vampires and pulls them out with a winch. <laughs> you know, <laughs> into the sunlight. It's like, <laughs> we didn't even mention Casino. Yeah, that was good, too. So, yeah, he's had a hell of a career. He's had an excellent career. Mm. I mean, I, I also, in mean, the second one, I quite, I mean, I quite, I quite, I like seeing um, Hayes do something outside of airport. Yeah, yeah, outside of the like, comedy realm, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I thought he, I thought he did quite a, a good little thingy. It's kind of weird though, because Leslie Nielsen was in Creep Show with Ted Danson, another airplane character, and kind of the same thing: torturing the wife and the adulterers by drowning them, burying them up to the neck. He's torturing him, making him walk around the ledge. It kind of sympathetic, how I guess, a little bit. Yeah, I do like um, the evil guy though. I love him. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's just chewing the scenery. is amazing. Was it Kevin McMillan? Yeah, Kevin uh, Mc is it Kevin McMillan? I think it might be Kevin McMillan. I'll I'll look real quick. Uh, while you guys, yeah, he was, yeah it's Kevin McMillan because he was in he was Rhoda's boss, wasn't he? And then he was in Dune. Yeah, and Serpico. I mean, his part in Dune always. You know what? That part of that he has in Dune always disturbs me because of those plugs they pull out of his heart or whatever. That just makes me crazy. I don't know why that oozed me out so bad. But when they pull those plugs in Dune, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yep. Else the old Dune, yeah. But he was also, but he was bad. also the cop in Salem's Lot, the original yep. TV series as well. So, well, they said same, that Stephen King did surround himself with some. That, that, like I said, it was a Stephen King kind of whatever movie. I mean, he incorporated a lot of his other stuff in people. From what there's I only one. There's only one Stephen King trope missing in this. If you guys noticed it. Well, we got Christine, yeah. we got Cujo. We yeah. don't have what. There's no none kids. of it takes place in Maine. That's true. Oh, it does not. Yeah, it didn't actually. Where it did starts it take place? Out of, it starts out of Wilmington, Delaware, goes into New York City, goes to uh, Atlantic City, then ends out in Wil uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. No mm. kidding. I didn't really follow that. And yeah, because normally they would take place in Derry or well, Derry, this time they would take yeah, place Derry in Castle New Rock. Hampshire. So this is Castle Rock, Stephen King area. So yeah, or yeah. Derry. Because then he blows, up, was, uh, he blows up Castle Rock in like what the late eighties, and then it becomes then he goes everything moves to Derry after that with it and so on and so forth. So and then and then he gets hit by a car, and then it kind of all goes downhill from there. But. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, he never really did. I mean, what did he put out after he got hit by that car? Anything comes to mind? Well, he was really bitter for a while, so he did the cell, and a lot of his he he, he there's all this bitterness that was in his writing for a little while. I uh, haven't. I did not read any of his later novels. I was always like the well, old Stephen King fan. There was there was Lissy's story, and there was Rose Matter, and things like that. And then, I didn't um, read any of those. I mean, um, before I mean, but he did come out with some great stuff like Dolores Claiborne, Misery. All well, that. I do like that. I did read those. They all came out after he blew up Castle Rock and stuff like that. And then, um, 
And then he kind of went down to a little bit of a law, but now he's writing more murder mystery books now. So he's kind of gone into that kick now with Joyland and Mr. Mercedes and so on and so forth. So, I did like the Gunslinger series. Yeah, the drawing of the three and all that. So Yeah. But um I mean I think that with the third story, that's kind of an odd thing and it doesn't it's kind of a weird one to end on, I found. Yeah, I don't feel it's as strong as the first two. And this one was written especially for this. Right. So, so you didn't think the troll and everything that was going on with him coming from the other universe and the Drew Barrymore's boudoir and trying to steal her breath and all that wasn't the best one out of all of them? Or Well, I, I think the problem is that Stephen King, what Stephen King is famous for is having ordinary people get caught in extraordinary circumstances. Circumstances, yeah. Good way to and put so, it. And it's very rare they get caught up like in trolls or right. Yeah. And stuff like this and for having this happen it felt it just it, it felt like the only stephen king thing in it that wasn't stephen king even though he wrote the script it doesn't right. feel like stephen king now it just feels like two stephen kings and a third a third tagged on because it doesn't feel like a stephen king because even, even the family dynamics i mean if you look at stand by me and the children that he normally has in his books rather than cujo or so on so so on and so forth, the children that he writes, even the Jew Barrymore child doesn't seem quite right. Is what I like a Stephen was King. Was Firestarter prior to this? Did she do Firestarter? Yeah, yeah, Firestarter was a year, afterwards. a year before this. Okay. Wait, wait, oh, wait. I might be oh, wrong. Oh, wait, wait, it was the year before. It is the year before. Is okay. I mean, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just so used to seeing um, Drew Barrymore do Stephen King with being backlit and hair and hair being blown forward. Maybe that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I think part of the problem is the first two stories are very grounded in reality to a to a degree. Obviously, there isn't going to be a gangsters uh, a gangster smoking uh, anti smoking thing, but. It's still but it, ground. But it, it could everything. exist, though. That's the thing. It could exist. Yeah, it's, it's possible. That's true. Everything that happens to the characters in the first two movies, or first two shorts, are done by other humans. They're things that are that you know. It's they're not supernatural, done, basically. Yeah, it's stuff done to your body that that could happen. It's not supernatural, exactly. I think it's way too late in the movie to introduce the supernatural aspect. So do I you think, think that they probably should... Well, it's supposed to have a psychic connection between Drew Barrymore and the cat. So, I mean, how would you play it if you didn't have some kind of weird supernatural I thing? Think, yeah, but if you look at if you look at Stephen King's psychiatric... Psych, psychiatric... Psychic connections that he normally has, whether you have Carrie, Firestarter, or psychic connections, there's even a, there's even a psychic connection that goes on with in Salem's Lot. The Shining, they're, you know, they're psychic connections that they have with humans, not with, right. so, you know, I mean, I mean, you can, it's, you can have one with a cat. There's no problem with that, but maybe, but it's, it's the troll element of it. The troll thing is kind of like. So you thought it was a little maybe far-fetched coming with the other two stories. So it was kind of out of place, maybe a smidge. I think had it been yeah. done on its own, it probably, I, I probably would have liked it more. I think it was just coming on the tail end of. Because you, you set expectations and you set expectations to be, you know, gangster making a guy walk along the ledge of a building. 
I that's I'm I have no doubt in my mind that's happened at some point. Uh, you know, torturing torturing someone's family to get back at him or to get him to stop doing something. Possible. I can absolutely see that. That's something that could happen. Uh, I, I think when you set that up as your first two stories, I think then to go completely mystical or supernatural or whatever in the third story, I think it's I think it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um not to say, you know, not to say I didn't enjoy the segment at all. I thought it, I, I still like it. It just felt out of place to me. I mean, there are other short stories in the night shift that they could have done. I mean, I know the mangler, they turned into a movie and you know, the, you know, the trucks, of course, that was unfortunately that was Stephen King's uh, Maximum Overdrive. Oh, they did Maximum Overdrive right after. Everybody <laughs> hates on that movie so bad. And I kind of liked it. Everybody it's, hates on it. It's one of those bad movies that's still kind of entertaining so i yeah. don't like the well, hatred I mean, yeah. for it overblown i just I, I i liked it i liked the green face truck i like the trucks coming you know doing their thing everybody just beating down maximum overdrive all of that I, I i guarantee uh, i've never seen it i guarantee that the remake uh of it called trucks is probably a lot worse and not nearly as memorable. I didn't even know they made a remake. They did. Oh, when? when did this happen? Uh, it's like 97, I think. It's just called trucks. Really? I've never heard of it. There you I've go. I'm, I'm sure it's competent uh, enough to, to not be, you know, as technically bad as maximum overdrive right, is, but right. it's nowhere near as memorable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I, I think if you're going to take stuff from night shift, I think I probably would have preferred him to stick to Night Shift, take one of the stories, because I would love to have him do the the Drace, the um Salem's Lot, um, um the the Salem's Lot revisit where he does that, you know, got this person driving at night and he sees this little girl and he picks this little girl up and and she wants to go home back to her home in Salem's Lot and he goes he goes to take her home, um and then the car the car swerves or something and. Um and he gets out of the car and his, his crucifix falls out of his thingy and she disappears and then he go and finally gets help and they goes to the bar and he goes oh no that's solution not you don't go there because of what's happened in this town that died yeah. and that would have been a quite nice little like a little tag on sort of thing and then you know he get Drew Barrymore doing that and or maybe and had the cat had the you know he taken the cat you know with him and the cat has this you know because apparently cats don't get on with vampires they they extend them so you could have had that situation that true, you know. true. yeah and that would work that would work you know or, or, or take another story uh, that one's called one for the road or take another story that you could you know put into this so you have a, a night you know a night night shift story but it does but it almost feels like um I guess what this feels like is simple things like Stephen King. We want to do some some of your night shift stories, so we we got these two and this two. But what we need you to do is that we want to tie this together because we need this cat to go through. So you can you write us a story about a girl and a cat, and we're gonna give you two weeks to do it. And that's what it kind of feels like. <laughs> Probably what happened. We just don't know. <laughs> yeah. And and to be honest, the story of the story is not. I mean, this was a, a an episode of um, Tales from the Crypt that was coming out, or the hit HBO's Hitchhiker, or something like that. This would be a fantastic story. I mean, I got nothing to say about you know about that. It's right. filmed beautifully. I mean, the, the special effects with the troll are excellently done. It's just 
It's not a good the story. Voice, the guy that did the voiceover did Scooby Doo and what else? Did he yeah, do? Frank We're Welker. The guy did the voice. What was his name? Frank Welker. Yes, thank you. He did all kinds of voices for stuff. I mean, he's really quite voice actor. And no one ever talks about him and his little mm -hmm. troll voice. And you could almost hear him as like in Gremlins. I think he did Gremlins too. Did he not? Uh, and funny enough, we were, uh, we were watching this last night. Sean actually was wondering if it was Howie Mandel doing the voice of the troll because it sounded so much like Gizmo. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Unplug that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's Frank Welker of Scooby Doo fame who uh, who did this one. Yeah, yeah, I get you know saying that. I mean, it's still good. It's just I can't, you know, and I don't understand like. And then it has that weird ending on it where the cat's on her chest and then sucks in her breath. It's like, I don't, I don't get that either. I never did it. I guess he's killing her. I guess he's going to have her. Maybe he was there to steal her breath and he was supposed to do it originally. And he well, was just there to stake his territory. Well, between you and me, if that cat is breathing in on her breath at this time in her life, he's probably an alcoholic by now. <laughs> She, she did start getting into drugs and stuff she, later. She, at this point um at this point and this is this is from her own admittance at this point when she's doing cat's eye she is a heavy drug and alcohol uh, dr a drug addict and alcoholic at this point in her career yeah, she's, she's just started. a baby <laughs> she was eight years old when she was in, in that so isn't that terrible i can't imagine yeah. as an eight years old person yeah eight, eight years old she was yeah. young. A, no 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 are you serious eight yeah. years old yeah, yeah. Well, alcohol... she talks about it she talks about it all the time yeah. alcoholism ran rampant in that family oh uh, god yes yeah so yeah that's she's part of the barrymore dynasty acting dynasty she, she, you know she did come out of it you know she did oh, well yeah. up until she crossed the picket line for the writer's strike she was golden <laughs> <laughs> well she said what what the, the funny thing about her what dried her up is that um she was Drunk and she'd done some kind of drugs. She, she didn't say she what got kind in of trouble, didn't she? But that that wasn't what cleaned her up. What cleaned her up is that she was um stumbling out of a bar and she um and she went around the corner and she saw this drunk there and she realized that was her father and her father didn't recognize her. No way, are you serious? I didn't and, know and that. She said, and that point she goes, and it sobered her up. And after that, that's when she started getting help and stuff like that. When she realizes, like, this is my dad, and this is what he'd become. Yeah, she was so incredibly young. My god, can you imagine doing cocaine at eight or nine? I can't imagine. But I mean, saying that she pulled it all back, though, didn't she? I mean, you know, she yeah. had her own company just because of her. We had Charlie's Angels in the movie, which was a huge success, and other yeah. things. So. I mean, if She's you really well. think of John, John Barrymore, alcoholism killed him. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, and then John Drew, Ethel. Who Drew. And Ethel Barrymore was a huge alcoholic. Yeah. So yeah. You had a long line in that family. And, you know, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to talk about it, but, you know, when, uh, you know, the, uh, the origin of the, the Shirley Temple, the, uh, the drink, which is just, you know, it's just Sprite and grenadine, but right. it's because, People were going to bars and Shirley Temple was going with them. And that's why it's called a kitty cocktail, because it's a drink that you can give to an underage person in a bar. Yep, I so. used to get those all the time when I was a little kid. We had so many Italian people at restaurants and bars back in the day. I remember getting all excited when they put that grenadine in my Sprite. It's just like, oh, wow, this is so cool. 
But you can't take your kid into a bar without some Karen friggin' screaming at you these days. God damn those mad mothers against drunk drivers. I ruined everything. <laughs> damn, drunks against mad mothers. <laughs> I ain't drive drunk until they got on the rampage. <laughs> they ruined everything in the 80s for us. <laughs> yeah. And because of them, they cut all our Friday the 13th horror films. They cut all the yeah. violence out of them. They ruined everything. <laughs> well, yeah, well, Tipper Gore tried to take our music away from us. She didn't yeah. get too far. But, but unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, had the other, they had the opposite effect because once we hit the song music with that sticker on it, we bought it. <laughs> That's it. I know. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> violence, <laughs> language, sexual it. situations that kill you. Yeah, it's got, it's got a stick. I only buy, I only buy, I only buy music that has a sticker on it now. <laughs> yeah. If it's got a warning, I'm definitely buying. I mean, how stupid could you be? We were going to buy it anyway. You can tell us not to do it, we're going to do it. So, I mean, the psychology of it all is stupid. The whole thing. I think it's just because they can wash their hands off. It just made you buy it more. Oh, God. Tipper Gore, she had to, she went to Congress trying to get rock music canceled some way. And what was it? Uh, what's his name from Twisted Sister? Oh, D. D. Snyder. Snyder. D. Snyder, boy. He went to town on her. Right there in a congressional hearing about music. Because you can't do that to people. <laughs> but, I might uh, hate a lot of rap, but you're allowed to listen to it, you know? Uh, so, same <laughs> difference. I guess uh, we should uh, go into rating uh, cat's eye. Starting with you, Vicky. What? Uh, what? Are, or how many cats? How many cats? I give it give three. Us? I'll think of a three and a half cats. I didn't hate it, but I don't actively seek this movie out. I don't. I mean, it's good. I've watched it like three or four times. Sometimes, like he says, rainy day, nothing else on. You know, put it on. But I mean, I don't hate it. But it's not one of my favorite Stephen King movies. It's not the worst, but it's not my favorite. Uh, how about you, Davide? Exactly the same way as Vicky described it. Three point five. I like the third sto- the third short story because it was kind I like of the, the Drew Barrymore story. Yeah, I liked it the most because it kind of connected me to the like sort of nineties families, young kids horror sort of vibes. I also me- like watching James Wood's wife getting electrocuted because he didn't <laughs> quit smoking. So that was a highlight too. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so <laughs> definitely 3.5 is not too bad. It's just, from my perspective, although you guys say, well, the first story doesn't fit with the first two, I think the opposite way. The first two story don't fit with the third one. No, it could go but, either way. It's all pretty because, No, it's simply because if the main story is about this cat feeling, fulfilling the destiny of saving this girl from the troll, let's just say, having this vision and wanting to save the girl, whatever. What have these other two stories in the background have to do with the whole with the main story? Well, they just yes, happened they don't this cat was traveling. This cat was traveling, and he just happened 
Yes, absolutely. But I would have dedicated less time to these two short stories and more time. He's got a point. I get what you're saying. I get. He, what you're he absolutely has a point it's here. Like he does. Been, it's like the cat's been shoehorned into these other stories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he could. I. I don't know. I would have made two. Well, like they kept that other story out because they couldn't put them all in. Maybe that I mean, would have been the one they should have kept they, it in. They, but that in itself is a movie all unto itself. So, Yeah, but uh, they, they, David, 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 David Zeg is right. It's like the... the he is. But the, the cat's been shoehorned in these two Stephen King stories from Night Shift. He's and shoehorned into this. But then... The last story is when they come together. So it's like, so who's been shoehorned where? So I can't. Yeah, that or the cat's like a bad penny that shows up and bad things happen when the cat shows up. <laughs> yeah, just terrible things happen around this fucking cat. Let's avoid this cat. Do the not only like general in your house. For me, the only way to make it all cohesive would have been the first two stories a bit shorter or. I would have added something supernatural. Maybe. I don't know the troll trying to convince the guy to smoke or the other ones to do bad action with a mafia guy. I have no idea. Yeah, I would better have let the things. troll fuck with James Woods. We could have yeah, done exactly, a whole lot you know? of, of like, oh, oh, I can't, I can't stop smoking because the troll is telling me to. I don't, I don't know, something <laughs> like that, you know. But then, I, I, the way it's done, the third story is interesting. The main plot of the cat looking for the girl perfect. Just these two stories got nothing to do with that. So I don't know. But I'll, I like the way the troll dies at the end, all squashed and sort of sand. It was hilarious. So, yeah, definitely like 3.5. It's not bad. It's just I would have done a little slightly different. But, or maybe he just felt like putting some short stories all together, trying to like put them all together. I don't know. But 3.5, no less, no more. And how about you, Keith? I'm probably going to give it a three and a half. I saw this, believe it or not, I saw this movie when it came out. So. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a huge Stephen King fan at that time. I was slightly disappointed when I went and saw it the first time. Over age, I I liked it a bit more because I think that um, the adult stories kind of speak to me more about the quitting smoking and the ledge kind of speak to me more than they did back when I first saw it. But it does feel there's there is a sanitized version of this. It does feel like when this movie came out, I think it was a R rating and I kind of walked away from it feeling like I just saw three episodes of a TV show from a, an, an anthology of a TV because I thought it was very sanitized and I kind of wanted something a bit more gritty situation because I'm going to the movies and seeing it so but I'm what you know so so if I if I was doing it on my recollection I would sit there and give it a 2.5 but I'm watching it this time around I'm going to give it a 3.5 because I actually did enjoy it I, I think there's some good acting going on in it and and some of it, some of it resonates more with me as an older person than it did when I was a younger person. And uh, I guess for myself, I'll give it a four. So it's uh, it's weird because I kept my rating the same for both movies. I'm the lowest of the first one, the highest of the second one. Um, I did enjoy this quite a bit. The, the I it, for me, it's mostly the first two are the reason why I, I give it a high rating because I really, um, really enjoyed. Quitters, uh, Quitters, uh, Incorporated, and um, and the Ledge. The Ledge gives me anxiety every time I watch it, and I love that about it. It's one of those movies that, um, you know, more so than the Uncanny, I grew up on. It used to be uh, every year on WPIX uh, in around Halloween time. This used to be one of the movies played for Shocktober. Yeah, um, you're right. 
So I would constantly see Cat's Eye. I don't know if I ever saw it beginning to end because I think I'd always be like either tuning in after I was done with homework or dinner or whatever. Uh, but I always, always enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, there was one thing that I wanted to, I wanted to talk about um, earlier after we discussed both movies, I guess we'll just do it real quick here. The amazing jump between like the, the, the time period between these two movies is less than a decade and they are like night and day. Like you could see yeah. the difference between, you know, that like, just the filming itself. Yeah, just this this movie is so much more modern than a movie that just came out eight years prior. Like you could you you could feel the more modern filmmaking, and I, um, you know, I don't know if that's you know Louis Teague, who's you know a great director, and um, it's the Alligator. Go uh, watch his yeah, the Alligator. Movie. I remember that. Alligator is fantastic. Go watch that. That's the movie that I think got him Cujo. Um, I think it's because of Stephen King, though, because Stephen King is very modernized writer. He writes for now. Also true, yeah. And where the other stories feel like they were written for to a glory to a, to looking back. Uh, I mean, because none of them are I'm the only one that said 1977 still feels like 1960 something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you look at the other stories, there's like 1936 Hollywood, and there's 1912. Montreal or whatever, and even the even the modern age kid, that still feels like nineteen seventy two. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, the one with the the cat and the, the girl. Where I think with Stephen King, what gives that modernized feeling is that he writes story. I mean, even I mean, even when you look at Carrie today, you know, in in, in Brian De Palma's lens of Carrie, it still feels like a modern film situation because all the stories have that modern feel to it. And that movie came out before the uncanny. Yeah. <laughs> right. And um, and I think because Stephen King writes stuff with it, I, they all have, you know, and I know I put around about Stephen King's and his endings and stuff like that, but he does, he, he, he does write about the common man and the common man is every day and every day is us. And I think that's why there, there's like a timeless feel to Stephen King, really. I mean, you could refilm. You could refilm Quitters and not Incorporated, and you can refilm The Ledge, and you can refilm The Troll Story, and give it a modern take, and it'll still yeah. feel fresh and still would have its cut. They'll still have the it'll edge. Still be the same basic story, yeah. Yeah, and you can and you can give it a you know a twenty twenty three shine to it, and it'll still be it'll still work. Where the other ones you couldn't really you couldn't update the Donald Pleasant story or the old woman in the wheel story or anything like that and set those in modern times because they would lose they wouldn't even be the same story afterwards. I mean the whole I mean I know it still happens like when you have people try to kill somebody off for an inheritance, but the I <clears throat> but excuse me, but the idea of doing it as a as a plot device in a movie is just oldest time man like nobody does that anymore in a movie nowadays well it's agatha christie isn't it i mean it's oh, it's very agatha christie yeah. or any any of those you know film noirs or i mean it's double indemnity really <laughs> it's also double indemnity but yeah, I mean, even other agatha christie were like you know and then there were none is constantly being redone as like your various slasher movie yeah so i mean there, there is a timelessness to the you know, the idea of um, right. getting 10 people in a mansion and, you know, 
killing them off. Or 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 in a camp. Or yeah, or or, or yeah, you modernize it and put it in a summer or, camp. Or, you know? or or in a suburban setting where they're babysitters. <laughs> yeah. Did we ever figure out who the first couple was that ever got killed having sex in a movie? What movie was that? I still haven't come up with that. Probably to be honest, the first, probably, the first probably teenage 19, couple. That got probably nineteen thirty-six, and then there were none. Agatha Christie. Because I still have yet to, I still haven't figured that answer out. Nobody else got a better one. There's a couple, but well, I what mean, the, being shown having sex. Well, you know how the the tropey stuff, taboo sex, you get killed first. You know, yeah, but a, I mean, but the question was, who was the what movie showed the first couple? Getting killed, having taboo sex in a slasher flick. I could not find an answer to that. Everybody was well, going nuts. That I guess it. Well, I guess it depends on being a slasher flick because I guess you can say Psycho. Yeah. Mary Crane has sex, and then as she's traveling along, she gets killed because of the crimes that she's committed. Well, I'm talking about two at once. You know, like how oh, two at once kills two, two of them with the spear while they're having sex. Oh, that's oh, Bay of Blood. Okay. That's Bay of Blood. Bay of Blood. Is yeah. it really? Mario Baba, yeah, Bay of Blood. I mean, if we're talking about the first time a couple gets gets murdered while they're having sex together, like, yeah, that's Bay of Blood. Bay Bay of Blood, which was what five years before Friday Thirteenth, four years before Friday Thirteenth, something like that. Uh, seven, yeah, it was in early seventies. Yeah. So yeah, it would be a Baba flick. (laughs) Um, um, uh, go look at my go look at my post from like a month ago. Uh, when I was talking I about Bay of Blood on Facebook, because I put side by side pictures showing the, uh, some of the kills in Friday the Thirteenth and showing the original kills in Mario Bava's Bay of oh, Blood. Oh, I did not. Did I not see that one? I'll send. I'll send it to you. I know. I, I know. I posted it about about a month. I can't a, a remember. Month or so I usually ago. see your stuff comes across all the time, and I always read your reviews. I always read everybody's, but I just this one wasn't on Substack. This one was on Facebook. Oh, okay. Well, I always read your Substack. My Substack, I've been I've been lagging on since. I've noticed. Uh, I haven't seen one in a while. Something, yeah. I figured you were busy, so it's a good busy. It is a good hey. busy, and yeah, as soon as we're done here, I got to get on. Uh, I got to get on my next project here for uh, for Shutter. So that'll be that'll be fun. And I, mean, I can't and, say what it is. And of course, and to be honest, um, slasher flicks basically as the template from, and there was none from 1939. Yeah, exactly. Like and, that's exactly what I was saying. It's it's all Agatha Christie. Yeah. Well, somebody was just saying, when did this tropey stuff? Which like, unfortunately wasn't called. And then there was none when it was um when it was released. It was called by a different name that we can't use. Ten Little N Word. <laughs> yeah. What... <laughs> Whoa! Wait a minute. I thought it was Ten Little Indians. No, Ten Little N Word first. Then it was Ten Little Indians. Then it was N-word. Yeah. Huh. I also read that. I know the. Uh, I know the. Um, uh. The, the the movie version in the forties was called and then there were none. Yeah. So the the change must have come in the forties. Yeah, the book the book itself it would have to. I the, the book itself was called and ten little and huh. And so and and the rhyme in the book in the original book is ten little ends and sitting in a row ten little and one has to go. <laughs> it's like oh that's boy, that's true. Yeah, that is true. I mean, My mother told me that too. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, the the uh, yeah, she was. Uh, well, God, what was the other? What was the other character that uh, that was kind of problematic that she created? I don't remember. I, I'm trying to think of it now, but from what I I um I never read uh a lot of Agatha Christie's uh, original novels, but I've I've heard that there were problematic things in some of them. Um, I mean, you know, gotta 
you know, well, I it, mean, it was to be, to be honest, though, it wasn't because she was a racist or anything like that. The that it was related because of an 18, 1869 minstrel song that was very popular and that was used as the, the major plot element. That's the reason why it was called that. And it got changed. And in 1964, that's when they changed it to 10 Little Indians. And then, of course, that's now problematic. And now it's and then there was none, which got changed in the uh, the 1990s. So, yeah, but I mean, there, there there was a movie version called, and then there were none. So I mean, it must have existed as an alternate title even back then in the forties. Yeah, well, the movie, the film called it that. So okay, so the film just called it that, and then they adopted it later on as a yeah, title because the, the ten little the ten little n word was something that they didn't think that would be recognized around the world. So they did it for the they did it for the absolute wrong reason. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's always it's always funny because I love movies from the 30s and 40s and then uh, it's it's always interesting. It's a different uh, world. It's, different it's always time. interesting that I'll watch these movies and then, like just randomly someone will pop up in blackface. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. This was totally acceptable back then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you if you look at the plot of and then there was none. I mean, a bunch of people all gathered together somewhere and then there's and then um it's because and then someone's getting revenge and it's normally you know no one's getting revenge and killing them off. It's almost always an inheritance, too. Yeah. You know, it's the cat in the canary also was a... Uh, or they done the something to the... Or they done something to the person, or something's been done to the person, or someone's done something to their family member, or... Uh, yeah, same plot over and over and over, so... And still to this day, and we still go see them. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we still go... I, we, you and I literally both saw a slasher movie this week, so... It and is I'll, what it is. And I will continue seeing them until the day I die. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. It's Same kind here. of it's kind of a way of life once you get into it. You kind of just don't detach, do you? Yeah. Sean and I were cheering last night watching Thanksgiving because we were get we were getting giggly and giddy because of the stuff in the uh, in the old grindhouse trailer. So you know, I, I think that was part of it. I think it's I think a lot of why I enjoyed it was I'd been waiting 15 years for it. So I was going to enjoy it, goddammit. That's right. I enjoyed it. I just plot wanted, holes be damned. Just wanted, I just wanted more. That's all. I enjoyed it. I just wish it was more. I I'm wondering if we're gonna get more stuff on the Blu-ray that probably got cut. Well, they, they have to usually get it down do though. I, mean, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna get a sequel next year. I'll just put that put that on there. You did it. <laughs> did it set up for what you think would be a sequel? Yes. Well, yeah. Definitely. You have to sequel bait a, a, a slasher movie. And they and they were right. quite clever without giving anything away, but if if they can't get the actor to come back, it could be any actor coming back because the person is going to be badly disfigured. <laughs> exactly. So without giving anything away. So. So yeah. Wow. We <laughs> we went off on anyone, anyone can do that end. role now. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I I'm, I I would look. I'll look forward to seeing a sequel to that. Ah, uh, wow. So I guess uh, we'll throw to Keith for the uh, for the wrap up here. Yeah. And while this brings us to the end of the Let Your License podcast, our next anthology will be the Christmas Horror Story and Tales from the Crypt. And of course, we're going to be celebrating, we'll be interrupting our programming for December because of Christmas, and we're going to be celebrating the career of Morton DaCosta, who did the Academy Award winning film, Anti-Mame, and we'll be doing that for Book to Screen and the books by Patrick Dennis. 
from and the film came out in 1958 and of course the two films that we'll be covering as well for our dark families will be the music man from 1962 and the film that would actually end his film career his third film 1963's island of love and of course batman um the animated series will continue with the demon's quest part one and part two fire from olympus and read my lips and now the Batman anime series is now on Netflix for those people who want to follow us on there. And of course, um, we'll be cut back to Doctor Who, which will be the Mission to the Unknown and the Myth Makers, which aired from the 9th of October to the 6th of November, 1965. And Make and Remake will be back. We'll be doing The Lion King from 1994 and the photorealistic version from 2019 with, unfortunately, Beyonce wailing away in the background. So... Uh, I guess that's good night to myself, and that's good night to you. And good night, Joe. Good night, everyone. Good night, Davide. Good night, everyone. Good night, Vince. Good night, guys. And happy Thanksgiving, and we'll be seeing you next week with Auntie May.
Can't.